Hello. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Okay. Well, I mean, at least you won't get sued for that any longer. Oh, yeah. They they lit up the thing on that, didn't they? Yeah. That's a stupid thing to sue people over. <laughs> well, it makes it makes it makes people lots of little amounts of money. So <laughs> you have to you have to protect your revenues. Uh, sure. Yeah. How, how, How's it how, going? Uh, I'm 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 fine. Other than being 34, uh, every, everything's peachy. <laughs> you you're not enjoying being 34. Uh, well, I mean, it's a little soon to say. <laughs> other than you know, just I just feel like, uh, perhaps I I am in an, an older category now than i had been in before which is true of every birthday but at a certain point it's like yeah yeah very very much that so yep that's that's how things are going and and i uh you know had uh uh some coffee and uh pan raison for breakfast and a slice of leftover pepperoni pizza so what what was that middle thing uh, Pana Raison. It sure, is that's a different language. It is well, it's French. Um, it, it it's it's raisin bread, sort of. Uh, it's you, you basically take a like flaky croissant pastry dough and you make sort of a pinwheel with it, and it has uh, raisins and and stuff in it, and it, it's sort of glazed on top. Um, it's like not super crunchy, but it is flaky, so it's 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 uh it's good. I recommend. Mm. And this is from uh, Chaumont, which is uh, a French bakery that's in Beverly Hills. And they didn't used to have iced coffee, so I wouldn't go to them. And I would go to Bouchon, which is the <laughs> the, the Thomas Keller uh, satellite operation that he that he runs. Well, not satellite, but now, now I'm thinking of space things. I and mean, Lord knows, um, there's plenty of space things to talk about. But uh, the... Lord, who knows? <laughs> Lord Vader knows, uh, but they have uh, they have iced coffee over at the Bouchon, so I would go to them. Although their pain raison is good, but Chaumont's better, so uh, I wouldn't go to them before. And then I had the, the iced coffee from them, and while they have ice now, they, they apparently decided they would sort of spite me with stale coffee. So I feel like <laughs> Bouchon might be <laughs> the direction to go. You ever, you ever get a stale iced coffee? Uh well I don't really get iced coffee. What well, it, isn't it like five thousand degrees in Arizona usually? Uh well yeah but I don't go outside. It's currently fifty seven right now which is pretty spectacular. It rained and it was really windy yesterday. So oh. did it did it did it rain a lot and X wings flew around? Uh well kinda I mean it rained when we were going into the movie and then when we came out there was a little more rain. <laughs> yeah uh it also rained when I watched the movie. Coincidence I think not. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> because we, we live one state away and that, that brainstorm probably came from your state to mine. Well, yes. Cause I also saw it the day before, but, uh, what, 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 let's just get right into it. Uh, what were your, what were your thoughts? What were your reactions to Rogue One? A Star uh, a Wars o- story. A lot of OMGs, a lot of wows. No, uh, I liked it. I, li- I liked the movie. Um, it's, 
It's interesting. I've been I've been thinking about it uh, a lot since last night. Uh, I programmed myself to dream about it. Um, it it's weird how it's kind of positioned as like a not Star Wars movie, but it's absolutely a Star Wars movie because like. Uh, wait, what do you mean not a Star Wars movie? It says a Star Wars story in the title. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's like them trying to like backpedal and be like, yeah, it's in this world, but it's not really the thing. Like, because obviously they can't put a number on it because they they used the numbers. Like, they can't. They didn't. They didn't add additional like padding in their version numbers, so they can't like stick like a, a thirty five <laughs> in there or something. What, did but, they? Did the Did the Romans have decimals? I, I don't. I don't. I don't know how that works. I don't uh, know how that would work. No, maybe hyphens or something. Yeah. Uh, but it's it was a good movie. I liked it. Um, I think on the whole, I I really enjoyed the tone of it. I really liked the story. The ending was phenomenal. I really enjoyed the way they wrapped things up and connect stuff together. And I think my, my, my primary concerns with it might be, and I don't want to just like generically lump things in, but I, I feel like it was kind of Disney-fied a little bit. And there was a fair amount of um, restatement of things to make sure the audience really understood what was going on. And maybe that's for people who aren't as familiar with the rest of the movies as they should be. Uh, but, I don't know. It felt like, yeah, okay, I know that part. We all know that part. We don't need to see that part again, so move on. And then uh, there there were some other bits in the script that I just felt like, well, this dialogue clearly could have just used some editing like because you're just saying the same things again with different words. So just cut that out and shorten everything down a little bit. Uh, but, other, you know, other than that, like, I thought the movie was great and uh, it did everything it needed to do and it, it, it gave me the things I wanted it to give me. Well, did it give you hope? Rebellions are based on hope. Uh, yeah. See that the, line I, from the trailer. That yeah. line from the trailer made it in, but uh, there was there was the other lines from the trailer that didn't make it in. I rebel. Yeah, that one didn't make it in. No, didn't make the didn't make the cut. Um, and there there has been some some discussion about what was and was not uh something that was going to be inside of the film and what fell victim to reshoots like. Um, apparently that TIE fighter thing where she's walking on that catwalk and the TIE fighter comes up and she walks towards it in the trailers. That was just, oh, yeah. that was just something that Gareth Edwards wanted to do for the trailer, but was never going to be in the film. So that was not even a victim of reshoots. It was, it was a trailer only shot apparently. And, uh, I was watching the movie and when she got up to that catwalk and I was like, okay, now the TIE fighter is going to come. And I was just like, wait, what? Was it the catwalk, the end sequence there with the satellite dish? Well, that's what my assumption was, was that it was that catwalk. And then they turned out just having that one really far away, just like blow up the little control tower part and shoot at her. And then Cape Guy, uh, he came over <laughs> and then he, he said some stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There was a. And then she, she's of... like, uh, you killed my father. Prepare to die. Basically. Yeah. Right. Um you know, th- this movie, it's, what, uh, two hours, 13 minutes or something like that? Two hours, 14? Yeah. I, th- I think it's 2.13. Um, uh, not, feel... not that it really matters when you get down to that last minute. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, well, it says 1.34 on IMDb. Anyway, um, it, it did feel like going into it, expecting 2.13 was a little long. And then at the same time, I feel like... Um, Jen Erso got a little bit shortchanged on some development, uh, but I don't know where you would have put that in or what you would have taken out. I mean, well, I mean, in, you know, like my comments on the script earlier, like I would have trimmed a fair amount of fat out of a lot of these scenes just because like, 
I'm, I would be brutal with the editing just because I could. Uh, and I don't think you would have lost a whole lot of story from some of these sequences by just sort of condensing them a little bit, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I feel, I'm cu- I feel I'm like cur- we could have got to know her a little bit better. I'm curious what you mean by that, though. Uh, what what would you have? You, you, you say a fair amount of fat, but wh- wh- where is that fat? I you know it, it came. Some of it came down to individual shots, like uh, when they they were on the ship or whatever, and uh, Jin just sort of like they they got somewhere, and Jin like walked over to Cassian, and they like looked into each other's eyes for like three seconds, and then she walked off screen, and then Cassian like looked out the the window of the ship and went like, "All right," and it's like, <sighs> well, you could have cut the entire no, like that- the front seventy percent off of that shot because they do that in every shot. Like every time the two of them are together, they look into each other's eyes for four or five seconds and then walk away. Uh, I disagree with you <laughs> about that being fat because I, I I think it helps establish some of the 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 very very mild uh, feelings that they have towards one another because yeah, that, that, well that was another thing that the, I mean I don't know I I didn't feel like they developed that enough for it to be a thing and obviously I didn't want them to be I didn't want it to be like oh look they 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 love each other in the end and hooray and stuff like that that didn't need to be there and I'm glad they didn't go that far. Um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe some of that development stuff was like, I didn't feel like that they really gave much of a crap about each other. There were a couple of those long speeches, you know, you're not the only one who lost everything and stuff. And then later when all of the, the, the rebels rebel from the rebels and join the, the rebel rogue rebel party, uh, like there were some speeches in there that were a little long and redundant for me, but, um, I don't know, maybe it was just cause I didn't feel much chemistry between them and I didn't need to feel it between them for them to like be soldiers and do their jobs. But th- th- there was just some, some little bits here and there, like throughout the movie where I, I, I was just in my head going like I would snip a few seconds off of that and that and that. And then, yeah, anyway. Okay. Did you, did you feel like it was sufficiently tight throughout the entire film? I I had no major issue with the, the tightness of the editing. I felt, I felt like these pants were appropriately sized uh the the thing the thing i had a problem with um was story stuff um mainly uh concerning the the first act uh where the start of the film kind of feels like you took one of those star wars visual dictionaries and just vomited it all out uh where it's just like here's a location here's a place here's a prison planet here's a oh, yeah, asteroid thing it was like am i supposed to be keeping track of all of these different planets i don't know what any of these are oh there's another one there's another one it's like yeah I mean, yeah it, it, it turns out that it, you didn't really need that but maybe the just the, i mean the fact that the planets were different colors or something would have been enough but i don't know they they needed to make it clear i guess well and also like what one, one of the things that really just kind of cracks me up is the is that asteroid one because they set up this big dramatic reveal of this tumbling asteroid station and they they go in through all the streets and alleys that are inside of the the station it's very cramped and crowded and there's steam everywhere and imperial soldiers and isn't isn't this very dramatic and we use it for all of one scene um it could have taken place anywhere else in the galaxy and why it needed a uh why the planet needed a title um the deep starting planet the the asteroid needed a title and an explanation that it was a trading post i don't i don't understand i it doesn't it doesn't mean anything and this breaks with convention of having like little you know this is a planet that that is this things in the corner and it's like okay 
thing. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That that was the one where uh, Cassian met guy who was in a hurry with a broken arm, and then uh, they got trapped, and he shot him. Right. Yeah, because he didn't want him to fall into the stormtroopers' hands uh, because Cassian had been sloppy um, about talking about this stuff in public, mm-hmm. and the the stormtroopers who were passing by had overheard them. And so he yeah. shot the stormtroopers and then shot his his informant that he had been um, threatening because the informant couldn't climb. And then Cassian climbed out of there and and got out of the asteroid base. Yeah, that um, was that was another scene that uh, I, I was thinking in my head needed to be edited because after he shot his pal, he just stood there kind of staring blankly forward for four or five seconds before he started to climb. It's like you can you're in a hurry. You can start climbing and then kind of like look over your shoulder and feel bad that I, you had to shoot your buddy, but whatever. I, f- I feel like you're perhaps hanging up a little too much on like trimming seconds off of these shots. Whereas I oh, feel like I know, but it was the, just, it was kind of a pervasive thing for like the, like the, the, the first act kind of into the second act. I'm like, why are we still staring at this? Yeah. Well, and then the other major weird thing was the introduction of our main villain, which happens at the very start of the film. We pass over the rings and, we get that uh, weird shuttle coming in. And I'm like, is that Kylo Ren's shuttle? Um, because <laughs> as we get closer and closer to it, it looks very similar to the uh, long-winged uh, triangular body uh, shuttlecraft that, uh, that Kylo Ren had used in The Force Awakens. But it isn't that. Totally different. And uh, I don't know why everyone needs their own shuttle. Um, just, you know, buy them in bulk. Um, I, 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 I just always assumed that Imperial shuttles mostly just looked like the white one that we see in, uh, Return of the Jedi. And there was like a little boxy Imperial shuttle that was in Empire Strikes Back that, uh, went from what Captain Neater, I think, ship to Vader ship. Cause that was before they had designed the one for Return of the Jedi. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, the point is, uh, he he comes in and he's got his special troopers and he's walking around through a mud field in his big flappy cape. Um, and he's he's going to get Galen Urso back. And uh, he says uh, Galen is played by Mads Mikkelsen, which is the second time he's been in a Disney movie this year. Uh, <laughs> the first being Doctor Strange. And uh, that was also scored by Michael Giacchino, who scored this as well. Uh, and uh, oh the, yeah, what, you want to talk about the score now or later? <laughs> I'll talk about the score later. Uh, okay, but the 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 weird thing about that is we've got Lyra. Uh, he he says his, his wife is dead, and they're obviously smuggling their child out of there. And Lyra comes back, uh, and the kid sees everything that happens. And Lyra's shot, and uh, they take Galen, and then they go searching for the kid, and they have the the weird uh, black stormtroopers uh black armor stormtroopers go after her and they they have like weird scrambly voices that kind of sound like the 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 guards in half-life or something it's very strange uh <laughs> but they 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 go stalking off after her she hides in her little rock uh hole thing in the cave mm-hmm. and saw, saw guerrera is supposed to come find her and he shows up he opens the hatch and there's forrest whitaker and then we cut away to stuff and uh we've got our uh rogue one letters and stars and that mm-hmm. lasts for two seconds and that's it mm-hmm. and it's serif um it's a serif font with an uh, outline which is <laughs> a curious choice for a serif font <laughs> yeah i don't i don't have much of an opinion on the title necessarily but that opening scene first of all that that opening scene there was 
so beautifully shot. I loved it so much, especially out there in the fields where they're doing their little stare down and stuff. Um, the story is a little weird where like clearly they've been planning for years, like, well, they're going to find us at some point. So what are we going to do? Uh, and here's the plan. And then like everybody breaks the plan, uh, except for, I guess, uh, the dad, Galen, um, kid doesn't go straight to the, the rock wife doesn't really hide cause she wants to shoot everybody. But, um, <laughs> even me, like, you know, we, we've talked before about how they shot this and stuff, but I was in that and I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Did they shoot this on film? What kind of film did they shoot this on? And I'm like, hey, dummy, we just talked about this. This is Alexa 65. And I'm like, wow, that is some really nice looking cinematography out here in this windy, rainy field and stuff. I uh, And uh, an- anamorphic. Um, so there's that too. Mm-hmm. And g- good lenses. He, mm-hmm. he uh, I can't remember the name of the cinematographer. Uh, G- Greg Frazier. Um, but he he apparently did not feel like he needed to use any lenses that had been run over by a truck or anything. Uh, so <laughs> no. Um, based on the the graphic at the end, though, I mean, I think it's kind of an overarching title they use for him. But uh, I think they may have used the same uh, new rehouse Panavision seventy ultra seventy millimeters that uh, Hateful Eight uh, Tarantino got cleaned up and put back together. Oh, that's good. Uh, I I just I just mean the quality of the picture was clean. It was very nice. Yeah. Um, and. One of the things that also stood out to me uh, was the uh, amount of handheld photography that's in here. Um, I kind of wish they had dialed that back some of the time. It didn't feel like a uh, low shutter scrambling around stuff or like uh, in uh, as we had criticized the most recent Star Trek movie. Um, Star Trek Beyond, where it's, it's sort of like the camera's just moving nonstop for no reason. This is just like every shot has a little camera drift to it, but um, in sort of a wobbly fashion. And I, I wish they had perhaps tied down a couple of these or, you know, made them just slightly steadier. Because uh, it works a lot in some of the gorilla situations, like later on in the city, but uh, some of the times they're just people s- sitting around talking. So. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we need to have wobble. Was, was there a scene in particular that uh, was bothering you that the camera was moving and stuff? No, it was more. It was more like an overall note. Just like I would. I would. I would just like just like just a little, just a little more steadiness. Fair enough. Fair but enough. this is the personal taste thing. Otherwise, I think it's shot very nice, uh, and. <laughs> And I guess I should say uh, my my commentary uh, on the, the the editing and the the dialogue choices that I would have trimmed down a little bit. I absolutely know that that is a personal preference. Like for me, uh, being as brutal as you possibly can with a scene or a line is like a thing that I super enjoy. And I realized that most of the stuff that they were adding was not like detrimental to people enjoying this movie, but it was just like, well, me, I would have cut that and that and that. So. Uh, even as I was thinking these things in my head, I was like, yeah, this isn't bad. No, it's no. Not like, it's not like poor filmmaking. It's just like in my head, I want that to go away to make this whole thing tighter. Yeah. And so I, in it, it just to condense that, I, I think that I have a lot of comments about the details of this movie that come down to my feelings about it, uh, but don't don't make this a bad movie. 
in any way. So I don't, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings in that regard. Uh, sh- should anyone who worked on it be listening? Uh, and <laughs> I, I, I just mean that, uh, uh, you know, it's a movie about details and it's about appreciating those details and also uh, commenting on them when when you feel like it's worth it. Uh, and and I, you know, I'm not going to just go thumbs up podcast over because uh, I, I don't feel like that does the movie uh, uh, justice uh, for the amount of effort that's been put in. Uh, yeah. And there is clearly a lot of effort. I like the set design of. Oh, yeah. The set design was fantastic in all of these scenes. Yeah. And especially here at the beginning, their little farm um it looks similar to uh the tatooine farm without being identical uh to the tatooine farm uh because they're obviously blue milk yeah i i okay Uh, another (laughs) confession i didn't really like that shot um because it was (laughs) was was one shot i know but it was a shot about blue milk i wish it was a, a shot about something else and the blue milk had just been like on a counter in the background and not like well the, the counter was just in the foreground there was a I, person doing did, something behind the I, blue milk i know but i didn't want it to be in the foreground it, it kind of bugged me because it's like hey look at the blue milk instead of looking at the actress who's playing lyra and uh so i, I okay, okay well, yeah. hang on there for a second so the 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 scene in the uh i already forgot the name of the city where they're running around to the uh jetta yeah well yeah. where they where they run into the two guys from the bar and in uh a new hope uh, uh. Pig, pig, okay. no, pig nose and walrus butt face. I I, mm-hmm. I was so angry when I when they were there because it was so pointless. I was fine with they were them being there, but that was another one of those shots that went on twice as long as it needed to go on. It didn't need to be in this film at all. And <laughs> and then, w- you what, but you didn't you didn't like the little hat tip? No, no, I didn't because it, it's uh, uh, there there are a few hat tips in here that I don't feel like are helpful. I feel like they're they're just. You know, Gareth Edwards might as well have just walked on screen and, and like winked and said, "Hey, look at look at that." You I guys, mean, to you a guys certain like that, extent, right? it it helps yeah. establish the time period of how close we are to episode four. Well, um, except that now I have to figure out how they got off, uh, got out of Jeddah before it blew up and got to Tatooine, and why <laughs> they would be so closely in it, it, uh, why their lives would be so closely intermingled with with that of the people on Tatooine fair enough sure yeah. I, I i get that um it's, it, i mean it's just like it not everything not every molecule needs to be connected sure. and that's one of the the criticisms that i have about many of the other things in this film uh as we get l- l- further into it uh that a lot of this stuff feels like it, it's trying too hard to tie everything in together and rather rather than letting some parts of this breathe a little bit more. Um, and, and I, I dislike that. Uh, it, we'll, we'll get into it later. Uh, let's just finish up this, this all, opening. All I want to say is you better not be talking about the ending because w- with regard to how tightly this one is tied to episode four, when we got to the ending, I was like, yeah, I see where they're going. I see how this connects. I'm like, oh, oh, damn. Oh, they're going like right, right up to the... The thing, like, ah, they're doing the thing. And then it just like, stops. I'm like, ooh, that was awesome. That was the best possible ending. I loved it. Anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> the ending was awesome. Okay. Noted. And so they, they, uh, <laughs> we, we've got all this stuff with the, uh, trying to break her out of the prison and with Galen, uh, I'm sorry, with, uh, with Cassian and his introduction and the death and the things and stuff. And, 
they find out the information, which is why they go rescue her. They get her out of the, the prison tank thing. Why she needed to be in a prison, I don't know what that had to do with anything. Uh, and she had well, her secret her, her identity. Her life has gone off the rails in a very TLDR way for the movie. And she's in some sort of jail slash work camp thing, which is unexplored. But she's just like, well, you're in jail and you're being transported and you're being broken out and you don't know these guys. So you're going to punch them in the face. And then the uh, the the droid that everyone loves is going to like say, don't run away. We're helping you. <laughs> you're you're being rescued. Uh, I, I, I like K2SO. Uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, I want to see the, I was very excited to see more of him as the film progressed. I didn't know what to make of him from the trailers and I had not really pursued a lot of like behind the scenes featurettes about what his personality would be like and his motivations, but it was like, Oh, you know what? He's a little sarcastic. I kind of like that a little bit. Uh, and <laughs> I like that too, but don't yeah. hate me. He had too many lines. What? The shot where uh, everyone leaves the uh, the 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 ship at uh, oh god the place where they finally meet, uh, see Galen, Edu, um, sure, yeah, yeah, uh, where he's looking over his shoulder and goes, "Where are they going? Uh, if if something or other, we're gonna leave them behind if they don't get back in time or something." Like that whole shot didn't need to be there. Didn't need it at all. What? I, I like, I like just, it. You, it makes him sassy. It's it, you that or just cut off the where are they going? You know where they're going. Just cut that off and be like, if they don't get back in time, we're leaving without them. Like just like stuff like that was like, this is too long and it's ruining the timing of the joke. No, that's awfully persnickety, Dan. I, 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 I but it's like this is what I'm saying. Though, throughout the whole movie, I'm like, you could cut that out and that out. <sighs> anyway, this, this is me. Anyway, this is me. I'll do a phantom uh, edit of the whole I thing. Did, and I'll I, make it I better. I totally disagree with you on that because <laughs> I. I, I like his sass. I like his attitude. K2 Sasso. Um, will, and, yeah, keep the sass. Cut out the stupid part. Where are they going? You know where they're going. Shut up. Anyway. Okay. Um, and so, anyway, they, they get her. They take her to Yavin. Yavin looks very Yavin-y. Um, Yavin Isn't 4. Isn't Yavin 4 very yeah. specifically? Yeah. Well, Yavin is 4 is the moon. Yavin is the gas giant. <sighs> this is another thing. Uh, are any of these planets in the other movies? Because I don't know. What, what do you mean? Yavin, is that is that is that in the other ones? Oh my god, Dan! <laughs> I don't remember the names of these planets clearly. Do 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 you know the rebel base in the first Star Wars movie? Mm-hmm. He do you know where that was? I'm gonna go with Yavin. He's, I feel yeah, like I had heard yeah, that one yeah. before, but none of these other ones I had heard before, and then I felt like I was making it up in my head. Oh yeah, no, the rest of the stuff in this film is is not outside of this film as far as i know i I felt like i had heard yavin but i was unconfident so there yeah so yavin 4 uh we've got our sort of mayan temple things going on jedi mayan temple things going on and uh they they talk to her they talk her into uh helping them out with uh trying to get in touch with saw guerrera because they figure that she has an in with him because of her former relationship even though they have they've been on the outs and then she asks them why don't you talk to him directly since you're all part of the the, you know you're all rebels and uh mom office you know they're just like they're not the same kind of rebels they're very extreme and we don't agree with what they do uh and they've splintered off from us and they they do their own thing it's like okay i mean i didn't really see anything in this film that seemed horribly extreme except for maybe the tentacle thing um which was pointless but uh they 
they, I like that. I like that premise, though, that there there are multiple uh, sort of rebel groups, and he is an extreme one who sort of splintered off, and he's kind of off in his own little world, getting a little bit crazy. Uh, but then they don't uh, they don't use him to do anything. It doesn't. It, <laughs> it's one of the many. Thi- it's one of the many things that feels like it's explored outside of the movie. Um, and I I don't really like that feeling. I want to. I want the movie to feel a little bit more complete. Um, when when it's coming to when it comes to the characterization of these people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's weird though because like this whole movie fits between three and four to sort of explain how we got from one to the other, and then within this movie they sort of just skip over fifteen years where a lot of stuff apparently happened and uh, we didn't see any of it. Yeah, uh, and he, like uh, the whole thing with her and saw where he had abandoned her uh, out of out of concern for her safety. He mentions that, um, which is important. Uh, I don't. I don't feel like we needed to see that, but I don't feel like we ever really fully resolved uh, issues with their relationship. Uh, we don't have to worry about it too much, though, because they, Cassian and K2SO and uh, um, Jin all take the U-Wing to uh, Jeddah, and they go walking around into the city, uh, and there's a nice little moment of, you know, we, we're not going to take him with us k2so and he gets upset and he drops the bag um i, I like i like that and if well, you if good, you say yeah. if you say that needed to be edited out of the movie for time i'd punch you in the face no, um, that one that one was perfect with the bag <laughs> dropping it was just like a ugh. yeah and so they go through the city and they don't really seem to have much of a plan except that they're, they're gonna like get in touch with some other contact that's gonna be by the jedi temple uh, the former temple uh when they get over there they run into uh, a couple of a couple of uh, temple guard, former temple guards. Um, so one of them sort of monk like, the other one sort of like uh, Jesse Ventura's character in Predator. Um, <laughs> and uh, those two guys are great throughout the whole movie. By the way, I I, I mean I like them. Um, like uh, Chirrut and uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, is it is he Bays? Yeah, yeah. So Chirrut and Baze and uh they you know they have a nice little introduction where she she hears somebody calling for her and it's uh Chirrut and he's blind but he can sense her um that he he seems he seems to have some sense of the force he is not a jedi but he he obviously has has some mysticism about him uh and by the way, I guess this is a brief moment. So it, um, they talked about the the former temple being ransacked by the Empire because it's full of uh, kyber, lightsaber uh, kyber crystals. crystals. Yeah, sure. Those are the ones that power the uh, the, the the laser moon, mm-hmm. and uh, those are also you know supposedly the things that uh, make lightsabers work. Um, I didn't really need that to be real or connected in any other way to the other movies, but I, I was wondering for a moment if that is real and connected to the other movies now they, they well they never talk about it in the films it's one of those things that's more in the the books and comics and games and stuff uh but there it, was a jedi temple sort of built no, on a mine for crystals not, no not that i i just mean the crystal part just okay <laughs> that the the why they felt like they needed to have like a special name and talk about them for five minutes that's that's because they they were something that existed outside of the movies for a long time um but the, this is this is the Jedi Temple of the Crystal Skull and or lightsaber. Yes, yes. And they <laughs> they get the 
Apparently, the, the place has been stripped by the Imperials. Uh, we see the Star Destroyer hovering over the city, which is a very important shot from the trailer. Uh, and uh, it's being heavily patrolled uh, because of uh, the outbreaks by Saw's guys. And sure enough, there is an outbreak by Saw's guys. And they, uh, Cassian and uh, Jin are caught in the middle of it. And Jin goes to selflessly save some small child, uh, accomplishes that. A plus, but then they get drawn into a uh, conflict where they have to actually shoot one of Saw's guy, uh, Saw guys, uh, Saw's guys, because he might endanger Jin, and that causes a problem because the guy with the the weird cyborg cataracts, he mm-hmm. he he sees that and he's upset about that, uh, and they finally uh, defeat the the dudes and then they uh, get out of there. And they run into some other Imperials, and K2SO is there, and he acts like they're the prisoners. And I, lo- I love it because he's, he's prisoners? Pris- prisoners, yes. And, you know, where are mm-hmm. you taking them? Where am I taking them? He's taking us to, and then he just smacks them. You know, don't be fresh. It's another one. Uh, and I, 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 <laughs> you skipped over his best line, though, when Jin whips around and shoots a droid, and you oh, think yeah. it's him, and then he pops out from behind the wall and goes, did you know that wasn't me? <laughs> that was so funny. Uh, I, I I love that shot. I, I I laughed out loud so hard in the theater when that happened. Um, perfectly timed, perfectly staged joke and gag. Loved oh, it. yeah. And the the body language that they the animators at ILM had used for K2SO uh, was was very appropriate throughout the film, but especially here where they staged it for the reveal, and then he's just sort of like hunched over and he's tilting his head to the side, <laughs> just just the right timing. I, I really I really thought that delivered, uh, and of course it's all motion captured off of Alan Tudyk and stilts, but still, um, <laughs> uh, Alan Tudyk. Yeah. He had, what was the last thing he was a voice of? He does um, a lot of that. Well, the most recent film that was released where he was a voice was Moana, where he was uh, Pua the pig. Um, oh, no, no, sorry, sorry, not Pua the pig. Uh, hey, hey, the chicken. Um, it's H-E-I, H-E-I. Uh, and, and so that that's important. Um, that, was, that was his last major role for Disney. Probably not what I was thinking of, but... Uh... Yeah. Um, no, but he's also been, uh, as many people have pointed out, he's been a pilot uh in, in science fiction shows and movies uh like serenity uh and and you know he was uh, what's killed. serenity um well it's a movie about being a leaf <laughs> on the wind and watching how that leaf soars uh, all right now that everyone has had a mm-hmm. stroke anyway yeah, let's move uh, back to it. <clears throat> so he he's you know he's famous from that and then he was also an irobot as sunny so he's, he's no stranger to being a robot or a pilot uh but uh <laughs> He 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 does a really good job in the film, uh, and the uh, Chirrut and uh, uh, Bays come by to help them out, and they're all just like shooting up Imperials and stuff, and then they get captured by the other guys from earlier, <laughs> and then they get taken back to to Saw, and you know there's the unfortunately the line where uh, the the guy puts the the sack over um, uh, Chirrut even though he's blind, he's like, come on, I'm blind. <laughs> Uh, and are you kidding me? I'm blind. Yeah, I don't understand the the sack thing because they do it to Bodhi when they first catch him, and they also do it to them here uh, because it, it, it's just another rock mesa that's like two miles from the other rock mesa that they're in. Mm-hmm. In it's broad like a big tower in the middle of nowhere, and there's like a guy standing in the window, so you would think somebody might notice that. I know. There's nothing secret about this. <laughs> 
the whole entire time I was like, you want to you want to make sure nobody knows like where the where your secret base is, but you're walking in broad daylight across a desert plateau uh, across well, maybe a they, they open put desert. Put you in the trunk and drive you around in circles, and you gotta you gotta time the uh, the spaces between the freeway bridges in order to figure out which direction you went. Yeah. Oh, and then if there's the sound of birds, then you know exactly. Cocktail party. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, uh, Saw's guys are weird. First of all, I thought his name was Saul the whole movie. Oh, I know. I looked at IMDb. Me, me too. I also thought that thought that too. And then yes, same same thing. He's clearly gone off the ledge a little bit, and they're um they're clearly some misguided rebels who are kind of sort of just like basically terrorists at this point. Um, and then you know, long speeches. Emotions and stuff, and then uh, for the first of two times in this movie, she immediately reconnects with an old friend right before they die, which is kind of annoying. Yeah, um, I have to say that I found the reasons why Saw did not go with him to be rather unconvincing, because <laughs> he's just like, I've done running. It's like, um, but it's like a flight of stairs, and then you go on a ship. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I mean, he doesn't have legs, and he clearly doesn't move around very well. And he, at this point, he's kind of just sort of a figurehead for this group, and sort of like a guiding. Uh, he, he's he's the principled person behind their movement or whatever ideals they may have. So I get, I don't really have that much of an issue with it. But yeah, they could have they could have taken him and like had him in the movie a little bit longer and we could have like gotten to know him other than the fact that he's uh he uses tentacle waterboarding to try and get information out of pilot guy i that didn't pay off at all in the film um i really know no because it just got us a pilot yeah uh also i have to say the tentacles are rather unconvincing uh but the they 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 get him with that thing and he's like oh it'll it'll drive you insane um and then they put him in that cell and he, he can barely remember anything. And then that lasts for like five minutes. Um, and that's, that's it. It's your mm-hmm. major hurdle that you've overcome with that. I don't well, know I why thought, it was I in thought, the film. Um, Chirrut kind of snapped him out of it with his like vague connection to force skills stuff. But um, like that, like a lot of the things in this movie, and again, this is totally a me thing and not the movie's problem, but um, I felt like a lot of the uh, soldiers and rebels were very not soldiery. There, there are a lot of like, you know, this is your one chance in your life to do something very important and real and very emotional. And we're going to hold hands and close our eyes and we're going to complete our mission. And that's going to be all we need to do. And it's like, if you've been doing this for 20 years, you're probably going to be a little less passionate about these things that you're doing because you're a soldier and this is your life. But fine that's fine for the movie i just like you guys don't act like you're you do this much well cassian does uh because he's he's very used to killing people on command on orders um which is a plot point uh for later uh but most of these other people don't seem to rebel very much (laughs) throughout the course of the film yeah. I mean, so, even Cassian, he, he he every time he got an order that seemed like, well, poop, I got to go kill uh, uh, Galen. I'm going to feel bad about this for a little bit after I hear the transmission through the radio and then I'll put my headphones down and go do it. It's like, no, you're you just just go do your thing. Like, be the guy you need to be like you, you're here because clearly you get the job done. Like, we don't need to see in your face every single time. You're like, I'm going to be sad because I have to go do these things. Yeah, but. They get out of there. There's a really beautiful destruction sequence for Jeddah. 
the rocks all flipping over, coming apart. Destruction is very hard to do with computers and things. Uh, so it's very pleasant to see it executed very well. Uh, and I, I thought they did a very good job of that, especially mm-hmm. as things start to crumble at uh, Saw's hideout. <laughs> it's completely open in the middle of the desert Mesa hideout with columns. Um, but the that the, the starts crumbling beautifully and they, they get out of the, the whole thing. And the reason why that had happened is because the Death Star in orbit had fired uh, a test shot uh, to level the city of Jeddah on the command of... Uh, the the governor tarkin who had appeared and i think this is the part where we have to talk about governor tarkin uh because governor tarkin Can you believe he's only governor in this movie <laughs> he's That's not what you wanted to talk about is it no he's he's he uh, i'm sorry uh grand grand moff tarkin uh he's played by uh peter cushing in the original star wars film and he dies at the end of the original star wars film spoiler alert uh, when the Death Star blows up, spoiler alert. Uh, but here, um, he's he's not played by Peter Cushing because Peter Cushing died in 1994. Uh, and they have another English actor who is sort of the onset stand-in for him. Um, and uh, he's digitally replaced after the fact. Uh, so on set, it's this guy, Guy Henry. Um that that was his name not i didn't say guy twice by accident but he he, he was <laughs> on set and they digitally replaced him with the likeness of peter cushing and that was approved by peter cushing's estate which is controlled by his former secretary uh because he had no other heirs and uh oh, wow. yeah and so it's a little weird on some level um i had not expected to see peter cushing in the film uh either real or digital um, and, uh, when he's first seen, we see the back of him and the reflection in the thing. And I'm just like, okay, fine. That's the perfect level of we, we've tied it in. But then he turned around and he started talking for like a long time. And then he was in many other scenes and I kept getting very distracted whenever he was on screen. Uh, cause it was bothering me slightly. Uh, cause I could that see the, he was in it dramatically or that he was not him both because he's it's very uncanny um i was also just watching a new hope to refresh my memory um and it's it's just there's just something about it um like it's it's very well done on a technical level uh Mm -hmm. like i can't i can't say that they didn't i can't say that they didn't pull out all the stops um and and i wouldn't mean to imply that but it, it it's is just a little un, un unexpected and unusual. Uh, so I, I just kept looking at him like, uh, okay. And uh, it kept throwing me out mostly because of the way his face was animated. Um, yeah. That's yeah. what I was going to say. So uh, first of all, perspective from uh, non-fan Amanda, well, not non-fan, but just like less first fan. Uh, <laughs> she, there are the two prominent uh, CG folk. You got, uh, you got Tarkin and you got uh, Leia. Um, she thought Leia, she, she asked if Leia was uh, some footage from the other movie that they didn't use. I'm like, no, that was CG. She's like, oh, okay. And then she said, uh, Tarkin, yeah, he looked a little bit funny, but I didn't really know why. Uh, and of course it's because he was CG, but, um, I thought, uh, yeah, I don't know about reducing his role. I guess you could have reduced his role a bit in the movie. Like when they, when they showed the back of Leia, I honestly didn't think they were going to cut to an angle of the front and, you know, 
I totally would have understood yep. uh, what they were doing. And again, my, my problem with Leia, I think, is the same problem with Tarkin is the actual performance. Like she was way too smiley uh, about the uh, the disc being handed to her and when saying hope uh, because she's literally under siege right now. Like you shouldn't probably be smiling that much. Be like, oh, this is good. And then like get moving. Uh, but Tarkin, um, I thought Tarkin looked great. Uh, especially his opening, his first shot, I thought was probably one of the most successful ones where he turns, um, he looked, uh, almost entirely real to me. And then as he went on, there were performance things where it, I, I want to say he was doing too much. Like there were parts of his face that were just sort of reacting and there were eye darts sort of like off angle. And he was looking around It's like, you could really be a little bit more still here and it would still be fine. But there were there were certain performance things about uh, what his face was doing that um, didn't seem to line up quite as well. So like technically, I thought he looked great, but there were things he was doing that I thought were unnecessary and a little odd. Yeah. And uh, how close we got to Tarkin um, in terms of where the camera is, I don't I don't think necessarily helped with some of those uh i don't think i don't think it helped with some of the the challenge that was Mm -hmm. in front of the people at ilm Um, i I genuinely would have put him in some more like dramatic shadow because there was one shot where um when he was sort of walking around in circles around uh ben mendelson what's his name orson uh something anyway uh white suit guy he put uh, his face like orson krennic yeah, he put his face right up next to the side of him, and I think that was right when he was saying, like, I'm taking over command, and he was sort of, like, staring at the side of his face, kind of, like, being menacing. But, like, he his shadows were kind of lifted to a point where it was, like, so you can see his face. And I was like, no, throw that into, like, dramatic shadow and, like, totally silhouette him, because you don't even really need to see his face at this point. But, like, it felt like it was brought up a little bit more than it needed to be. So, I mean, you know, they could have hid him more, and I wouldn't have felt bad about it at all, but... uh on the whole, I thought Tarkin was pretty pretty damn well done. Still, still weirds me out a little bit, but um, the- <laughs> I mean conceptually, sure. And like again, I think the only complaint I have is some of the animation stuff he was doing. But like technically, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, but you know, we can't not talk about that because um, that would be weird. Because <laughs> it was <laughs> no, liter- it's, literally. It's a- the first thing I wanted to talk about when I walked out of that film was was Peter Cushing. Um, yeah, because sure, yeah, you don't expect him to be there. Uh, it's a huge amount of work to put him in there, so it was clearly a very important thing for all parties involved making this movie. Yeah, and uh, as for as for how successful it is, it seems there are some people who can't tell that it's not a person, which is an achievement uh for for some some people but then there's uh some other people who can totally tell that he's not real and, and they're bothered by it and then there's other people who kind of can tell something weird is happening but aren't sure what it is kind of like we had mentioned with amanda um and uh whatever people feel about tarkin uh it doesn't seem to be the same way everyone always feels about the leia uh, at the end of the film, because some of the people I've asked about it have said, oh, the Leia thing bothered me so much because her face was wrong and it was the wrong proportions and uh, the the way she was moving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like, they get really hung up on it. And then other people are like, no, that one didn't bother me at all. The Tarkin one bothered me. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, that's interesting. I 
Leia looked perfect, but they got a really close sort of low camera angle that I don't think they shot her with in any of the other movies. I don't think it was a flattering <laughs> view. Um, right. I mean, it was just yeah. like, I mean, typically she she's, I mean, she was shorter than a lot of the other characters in the other movies. So camera's kind of looking down on her, especially like in that, in, in the original, when we're sort of up at a higher level with Darth Vader's eye line, when they're having their conversation, it, we don't get that close or intimate with her at any point. And I get why they would want to make that moment a little bit more intimate, because that's like the connecting moment. But um, I, I thought she looked good. I thought she looked, especially when they did like the first wider shot of her, I thought she looked real. And then I just didn't like that she was very smiley and uh, excited and happy. Okay. Just a performance thing. I thought she looked great. I just didn't like the performance. Yeah. Uh, but which which side of the fence are you on? So uh, clearly, I mean, you weren't expecting Peter Cushing. So would, would that one stick out more to you, or do you have thoughts on Leia as well? Uh, I don't like her either. Um, <laughs> you don't like her. I, did, I, don't, her I, did, just... I didn't like the camera angle um, that they they chose uh, and how close they got to the fake Leia, and uh, I felt like it was superfluous in that I don't feel like it needed we needed to see Leia to connect it, the events of this film to what happens in A New Hope mm-hmm. um, well, I don't this is a larger question I have for you so uh, for people who don't remember the other movies as well do you think just seeing the back of that dress would be enough to put it together or do you do you think that they needed to sort of spell that out a little bit further and have that reverse angle. Cause I think there's a lot of stuff in this movie that could have been excised for people who are more familiar with the star Wars franchise. And it would have read just as well. Like I said, we didn't even need that frontal shot of Leia as far as I'm concerned. Well, this movie is John Knowles idea of what happened. Uh, that the star Wars crawl, if you turn that the original crawl from the first movie into a movie, that was the idea, like how they got the plans um, and how Leia came to be the custodian of the secret plans that they, they got from the thing and uh, how the Death Star uh, is, is, you know, they, they need the Death Star plans because it's a, a massive destructive weapon. So there are things in here uh, that lean too hard on trying to tie into the Star Wars films. Um, and some of it is like little fan service Easter eggs that are floating around in the, the environment, like the blue milk, et cetera. Um, but some of it is a little bit more heavy handed. And, uh, there are some things which are even debatable, um, whether or not you need to see Leia. Uh, I don't think you do. I, I feel like that's not at all remotely required. For the purposes of the film, we don't know her as a character inside of this film. We only know her as a character in the other films. She didn't need to receive the plans and say the last line of the film. Um, It would have been fine if we had just been propelled into what happens next. Well, I got to tell you, just specifically before we move off of late, the one thing that I did need uh, personally, and again, maybe this is just because I'm not as big a fan as anyone else, is um, when they're on the ship, I'm like, okay, they've got the plans. Are they going to transmit them? Are they going to do something? And then it it only clicked for me when her ship broke away from the master ship and then, you know, jumped to light speed out of there. It's like, because like, when I, once I saw those bay doors open and I saw that ship, I'm like, oh, there you go. That's the ship from episode four. So now I know exactly how close we are in timeline to the other one, aside from the fact that 
uh, the, you know, Vader's boarding party and all that stuff. So I, I was still putting that together right up into the end there. So I kind of liked seeing all of those pieces. I just didn't think we needed to see her face because we see the part where she gets the stuff and then clearly she's under siege by the empire. And then that puts me right in the timeline of where we need to be. They could have just gotten it off of the ship and onto Mm -hmm. the Leia's ship. And then the ship could have left and that would have been it. Um, But it's, it's, it's very possible. Like, you know, another thing I thought was like, the thing that was confusing me is like Vader said, he's going to do his boarding party. I'm like, Oh, that's totally the beginning of episode four. And then I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't the ship he boards in episode four. But then I really, I really liked seeing that Vader scene as he's on the ship storming through. I thought that was awesome. (laughs) I can tell by your side that you didn't enjoy that. No. Okay. First of all, first and foremost, we hadn't gotten to when Vader is introduced in this film, but I'm just gonna come right out and say it. I don't think he needs to be in this film. Uh, I don't think that it added anything at all. I feel like it is sort of gratuitous fan service. I feel like the fight that happens inside of that hallway, also gratuitous fan service. It is, it is, oh man, look what a, what a a bad bleeping bleep he is. Like he's, he's destroying all these, these dudes just wrecking them all. And it's like, but that's not how he behaves in Star Wars A New Hope. Like he, he lets the storm really do that. Well, I know they couldn't really do that, but that, it doesn't connect with the other film. And if this is supposed to directly connect with the other film, then he needs to behave the same way. Uh, like they went through all the effort with the costuming. So why not go through the effort with the behavior? So the stormtroopers, that he would be more of sort of a leader of the stormtroopers coming in and doing their thing. And he's just sort of standing there. Like you guys are beneath me. And if you come at me, I'll tear you down, but I'm not going to be the uh, offensive force. That is how he behaved uh, in the other films. Uh, but, I also, like I said, I don't think he needs to be in the film. Um, like his, he he goes after Leia, but it has nothing to do with the, his reasons for needing to be at this battle or his knees, his his weird management meeting where he he talks to Orson Krennic at his his uh, his lava palace. Like that that was that was all fan service. Like I I don't I don't feel like that. I don't feel like that was in service of the film as much as it was in service of fans of the other Star Wars films. Mm-hmm. the the meeting at lava palace i thought was uh unnecessary and also there were some bits in there that were very unvader like uh not the least of which he choke, choke had, on your aspirations yeah that was a bad line um <laughs> he, he had a, he had a lot of lines and uh he talked a lot and then he did he did another thing where he's just sort of like walking circles around orson krennic or i'm gonna go over here and look out the window now and say some things then i'm gonna walk back over to you and then walk back over here and it's like in my mind vader's gonna walk right up to you stare you in the face and say like three things to you and scare the crap out of you and then leave um so that scene was like long for me and it probably could have been excised but like so like the the bare minimum that Vader would have needed to be in this movie for me is like at the end there when uh, the plans are on the ship and then Leia's ship like dropped out of the thing and like fired off into uh, the distance. Uh, the the very minimum would be just like an over the shoulder of having, of seeing Vader, like watch that ship jump to light speed. That would be awesome. And then be like, Oh look, see, there's the thing. That's the thing that connects it. I'm glad that there was a little bit more of him because I enjoyed the fan service of him destroying some people. Uh, I agree that it was more than was necessary, but I enjoyed some of it. Okay. But if you're going bare minimum, just like an over the shoulder of him watching the ship leave because he's like, well, that's where the plans are. Would that have been too much for you? Just like a quick reference to him? 
Well, I mean, that would have been okay, or just alert Lord Vader that uh, the ship has left. Whatever. Like, I he just, he didn't need to, because he, he, the movie wasn't about him as a bad guy. He, it, it's about, it's about setting up the events of the next film, and he's a bad guy in the next film, but he's not a bad guy in this film. He's just kind of wanders into these scenes. Does that make sense? Like, Krennic is ostensibly the bad guy of this film, mm. but Krennic is not, is overshadowed by Tarkin and by Vader, both in, in terms of his position inside of the universe and uh, his his position uh, in, inside of the film, uh, where w- w- Graham Moff Tarkin is the actual bad guy, and Krennic is just running around from meeting to meeting as some sort of mid-level functionary, and he's got his his special shuttle and his his cape and his little troopers and stuff, and he's very protective of his own ambitions, but he doesn't he, he having Vader and Tarkin in here competes with anything that's supposed to be an arc involving Krennic, even though Krennic is shot and killed at the top of the tower thing at the very end. And that's supposed to be satisfying. And he succumbs to his own weapon as he looks up on the horizon and uh, the mushroom cloud is coming towards him. Uh, but he's not, he's not, he's, he's not rising to the occasion of the film because Vader is the one who is doing all the, the stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think I don't know that that necessarily bothers me because I from the very beginning, you kind of think that Krennic is he's got his aspirations, but he's he's not choking on them yet. No, he he's not a villain on the level of these other guys. He's a punk and he's kind of always going to be a punk, especially when he like tries to pretend that he can, you know, stand in line with uh, Tarkin and Vader and like be one of those guys like he those guys are clearly going to knock him down because you know those guys are villains and he's just sort of a military guy who's trying to play his role but then like you know there's there are these two timelines going on it's like Tarkin and Vader clearly uh, look at him as just like a peon and they're like well we're going to go do our own thing over here on the Death Star and you go take care of this stuff for us because that's necessary and then, like, I, I enjoyed the fact that uh, when it was clear that even in his, his sort of perfunctory role, Krennic was, like, sort of failing to keep uh, keep the, uh, the the archive base under control, Tarkin's just like, this guy, he just can't do, like, the single job I gave him. So, you know what? Just blow it all up. Doesn't even matter. Because, like, he's thinking on a slightly larger scale, well, much larger scale, I guess, than... Uh, Krennic would even imagine because he's just a little military guy and Tarkin's a real bad guy. And he's like, you know what? We don't need any of those people down here because we got our own thing going on up here. Just take them out. It's fine. And that, that divide between them, I thought was cool, but yeah, that does sort of leave Krennic in the place where he can't really be the bad guy of the movie because he's just like, he's taken orders from other people and he's, he's been given his role and he's, he's not even very good at that. So, uh, you kind of knew, he was gonna. I mean, you knew he was gonna die because he's the bad guy that moved, but you also knew he was gonna die because he was kind of a punk the whole time. Yeah, compare that to Vader taking orders from the Emperor. Um, Vader is still the bad guy, and the Emperor is still the bad guy. Uh, and they even have goals that are at odds with one another on occasion. But here inside of this film, um, 
like you said, he's a bit of a punk. And uh, the small moments where Vader is here, he overshadows anything the Krennic's doing. Uh, and I don't feel like it needs to be in here. Like I said, it's fan service. But we should probably get back to where we were in the plot and progress forwards because uh, we haven't even gotten to Edo yet. Uh, <laughs> fun, fun rain planet. Um, so they leave Jeddah and they go to Edo and they've got Chirrut and uh, uh, what's the pilot's name? Bodhi and Baze with them all inside of the, the U-Wing and they arrive on Edo and uh, they have to fly in real low because of the sensors and stuff. And they pass the shuttle depot, but then they hit a rock and then they crash. And that means that uh, Cassian's got to go out and uh, look at the situation. And he takes Bodhi with him and doesn't want Jin to come along. And everyone finds this incredibly suspicious uh, because that's, you know, her father. But uh, they, they they go along with this, and uh, he's got his orders to, to shoot um, and kill uh, Mads Mikkelsen. But when they get out to the rainy landing pad where they're having another meeting, um, and uh, the the shuttle of uh, Cape Guy shows up, they he, Cape Guy threatens to shoot all of the uh, scientists because there's... A, an informant among them who had given information out uh, to the the rebels. But before he pulls the trigger on the firing squad, uh, Mads Mikkelsen gives himself up as the one who had done it, and then he orders all the scientists to be shot anyways, which is, I think, a bad idea. Um, and then he's just going to keep Mads Mikkelsen and stuff or something. I don't, I don't know. I wasn't clear what he was eventually planning on doing at that point uh but yeah also it was kind of strategically unnecessary for galen to give himself up uh because this whole time he was like playing the double agent and just doing the bad things to make sure that he kept a role like i I liked the fact that he took the job so he so he could pretend to be on their team and intentionally sabotage because he knows what they're making and he knows it needs to be destroyed uh, that part I thought was cool, but then like when he gives himself up right here was, I mean, the only rationale I could have is the fact that the weapon is done and he's totally done with this and he's like literally ready to die because he has nothing left in his life. But that was still a stupid thing to do to try and save some engineers. Yeah, um, I, I think they wanted to do that for storytelling purposes to make him seem selfless and not like someone who would sacrifice a bunch of people for his ideals sure but like i yeah. got to imagine in the past 15 years he's had to have done some pretty horrendous things to be where he is right now so this kind of just didn't really seem like that big of a gesture and oh like, yeah again, without a doubt me. we've already seen his handiwork destroy jetta um mm. like his the jetta the city not jetta the planet it's confusing i wish they had, <laughs> had done something else with the naming jetta um, the app <laughs> but they they <laughs> It's probably a Jetta street in in Jetta City on Jetta. <laughs> so the ad, your address could be one two three four Jetta Street Jetta City Jetta Planet. Yeah, um, they they blow up uh, that that city though. Of course, when they do the test firing, because uh, they don't want to have uh, them embarrass themselves in front of the Emperor Vader when they fire the weapon and you know it putters out or something. But 
that's why they just do the the tiny little city blow up um and uh also because we know that they haven't used it to blow up a planet yet and so this movie is sort of constricted by by that and so the other time they go to use the weapon they also just you know blow up part of a surface rather than blowing up the entire planet because they know that uh they they can't <laughs> because of the limitations of the sequel uh the original i should say the, so the that didn't bother me too much another thing you know while we're here and i'm gonna be nitpicky because we've got you know this is our time to be nitpicky um <laughs> the whole like when uh when uh cassian goes out and leaves Jin there and he's all like you stay here and then they're uh you know um Chirrut says like what does he look like and they're like oh he doesn't look like a killer and then K2SO is like, well, his weapon was in sniper mode, and everyone comes to the realization that what he's going to do. Like, I didn't need any of that. I get it. I don't need it. Yeah, I well, I mean, it was... I, Let's spell it out for you again if the two or three radio transmissions where he was told to kill Galen and then looked sad for a minute before he put his headphones down weren't enough. We're going to do this too. I mean, he was just also acting suspicious. Let's be honest. Uh, but yeah, they, he was acting suspicious. Like you don't, your dad's right over there, but you're going to stay on this, this uh, ship right here, but we'll totally bring him back. I swear. Like that's, I, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was too much. Yeah. So she goes and climbs up the elevator shaft thing that's at the bottom, gets up on top of the landing pad. And, uh, it's he a big climb in the rain, by the way. Yeah. It would have been a little challenging. Uh, he sets up his sniper shot, uh, sends Bodhi back, um, but realizes that he can't uh, do it. He can't pull the trigger on it. Um, and Baze and Chirrut wander out of there uh, in a scene that I like, where he Chirrut wanders out and uh, he's like, "What are you doing? You can't, you can't do that." But Baze is like, "You, you can't go do that." And he's like, "Of course I can. Like you're, you're, you're coming with me because he knows that." Baze is going to look out for him. They, they, that gets all of our people out of the, sh- the ship except for K2SO, and they, they go and and Bodhi who went back, and they all go over to the area. But because nobody had been in contact with the the rebels, uh, they had dispatched a uh, X-wing squadron um, to go attack the base uh, to make sure that Galen or so was dead, which is not a good plan really because they weren't blowing up the entire base. There were a lot of people who were still alive after <laughs> the attack, so it seemed it seemed like a poor idea. Uh, but they nonetheless send the X wings in, and this sets up a complicated scenario where one of the X wings fires and blows up part of the landing pad, uh, and that is what kills Galen or so, uh, who would have been fine had to be had he been standing literally anywhere else because everyone else on the landing pad. <laughs> walked away from that one uh and uh krennic and his shuttle miraculously survived this this crackpot shot uh they get onto their shuttle and leave uh jen goes over and talks to her father right before he dies and uh he says stardust again and so it's it, you know it's, it's supposed to be moving and then uh they get out of there uh and take a imperial shuttle that they they confiscate a cargo shuttle uh, they go fly back to Yavin with that, uh, and uh, there is there is some um, so there's some words that are exchanged about how uh, she had trusted them, and you know she was betrayed by by them. And he's like, you know, don't talk to me because I I wasn't gonna do it. I didn't I didn't shoot him, um, but you know that's not really much comfort. Uh, mm. he, he keeps talking about like, oh, you're in shock, you're in shock, you're in shock, and just like I don't really think that's a good explanation right now, Cassian. 
Um, he could he could have gone right to his last line, which is "I don't have to explain myself to you," and then walked away, and then that would have put a gap between the characters a little bit that they could sort of rebuild later when they rebuild their trust. But yeah, that's that scene there was well, I mean, less I, than great. I like the complicated nature of the fact that the rebel squadron had actually killed her father. Totally. Um, that it was it was a little too convenient and annoying that she got to see him for two seconds before he died, just like Saw. But yeah, that's the the other thing about this. This is weird, and I, I don't know. Do you want, do you have a thought you want to finish before I kind of take us in a different direction? No, I'm interesting to see what direction you're going. Okay, so the for plot mechanics reasons, like they, they come in because uh, Plan A, sending these guys in, uh, they think failed or they have no idea failed because they have no radio communication. So they send in Plan B pretty quickly, and it kind of screws the pooch for plan a but there's an interesting kind of unusual dynamic for this whole thing where they're kind of going back and forth the 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 rebellion is kind of like uh first of all you're jenner so your dad's a murderer i don't know if we can trust you also i don't know if i believe this this thing exists this weapon so we're not really going to put much stock in that. Uh, we still need to kill Galen Ursa because he's a bad guy or something. But like the, the the way they go from like, I don't even know if the Death Star is a thing to we are on our last legs. And if we don't act right now and do something incredibly dramatic, we're all going to die. Like there's a little bit of a dichotomy between those two. And I like how they're the, the rebels are kind of reactionary for most of it where they're like, Oh my god! If we don't do this one thing right now, we're all gonna die. Which which puts them in a place where their strategy is kind of uh, terrible, which makes sense because they're kind of panicking. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, well, a minute ago you didn't really believe that, and what do you believe now? You're just like, kill everybody! Oh my god, kill all the bad guys right now, immediately, right now, do it. And uh, that kind of adds the chaos to the story. But there is still some confusion to me because you know that guy clearly acts out on his own, and then when he gets in the big room full of other people that yell at him for like acting out on his own and stuff. But um, so some of this stuff with like who's sending orders to whom is a little weird and confusing to me, and I I don't know that it needed to be quite so. Uh, we don't believe you, and then we're panicking. We're going to act immediately, kind of stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about at all? Does that make any sense? I think I need you to walk me through how the panic is bad no the panic is not well aside from the fact that the panic is what led to blowing up galen when he was their only hope of having somebody explain the plan Mm -hmm. other than yeah that's why they needed new hope good gracious uh sure well it's kind of the same hope but somebody else's hand they they took it and they put it in another machine and they called it a new hope yeah well it's repackaged they intercepted the hope um, transmission <laughs> and they, they intercepted the hope on, on fourth down and they ran it all the way back for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Anyway, no, it was just, you know, there, they, and maybe this gets just into some of my character development stuff with Jen where they, you know, where she initially meets and like, well, you're the only one who saw the hologram cause it blew up or whatever. And we didn't have time. So we need to get Galen and like, a, the other guys don't really believe, and then like all of a sudden they do believe that they really need to kill this guy right away because like they could have waited an hour to send in backups for Plan B, and they didn't. Uh, but it's you know it's just they need these things to sort of for timing purposes. Like Jetta needed to blow up in their test fire conveniently to kill Saw like right after they meet, and she doesn't get the hologram, and then 
they needed something to kill Galen conveniently right before they would get him and get him out of there and like get him to the rebels and say like, here's what actually is going on. So there's a lot of, she's the only hope and uh, she's the only one who can do this. And she's the only one who knows the plan and where we need to go and do stuff. And you have to trust her and you have to take her word for it because we've conveniently accidentally killed everyone else who knew the plan. Okay. I, I buy that in, in terms of, when we get to that meeting scene where all the rebels are gathered around the table, um, which I hate, I hated that scene. Uh, <laughs> and they, it was just a bunch of people just shouting at each other about nonsense. Uh, and like, I'm not going to go along with that. We only have to take her word and blah, 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 blah. But for some reason she's speaking at the thing. And I was like, this seems a little strange. Cause the other day she was a prisoner that you guys bailed out. And then she's been along on two missions that have resulted in severe casualties, but she's talking to everybody and she's talking to them about hope. And I was like, this feels like it came out of a different movie all of a sudden. Um, because she it every, kind of feels like they wrote that scene first and then they wrote the plot and then they're like, well, where does this go? No, I feel like they wrote this scene maybe after. <laughs> oh, you think this was on the reshoots or something? Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. And honestly, I think it's sort of like a, a, a mental trap that you can get stuck in if you try to figure out, if you try to guess what was a reshoot and what was not a reshoot because it's like, it's like chicken and egg. It's, it's reshoot and rebel meeting. Yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to guess, but it felt it did not feel like it was in keeping with everything else. And because they hammered so hard on the word hope at several points inside of this film, there's a part of me that wonders if that was something that was grafted on to uh, address the the grimness of the film. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you noticed, but every main cast member of this film died uh, at uh, the end. Yes, and I'm glad they did because they needed to. Like, that was <laughs> that was the point. Like, no, I, no, no, I, but- I absolutely, if they would have weaseled their way out of uh, data backup plant or whatever and not died, I would have felt cheated. Like, I, they, they needed to die for this cause. No, but see, that's the thing, though, is like, in the other Star Wars movies, usually the entire main cast doesn't die. <laughs> So <laughs> sure, I get that. That's... So I, I, I get. I, I think that's part of the reason why they needed. They kept hammering home hope so much. Is like even though we won't make it, that there's still hope that someone else will, and so we must fight on so that other people can have that hope. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So maybe that's what it is. So some of my, I wish we would have developed Jin's uh, opinion might have come from the fact that like in in this plot, like as I'm watching it, I know she's gonna die at the end of this like personally i knew she had to die at the end of this to make this movie work and i really wanted to feel like her sacrifice was worth it and i didn't feel like she went from like reluctant to help you to like i'm the only one who's willing to do this like i guess i'll do it myself because you guys won't listen to me um that transition for her was weird and not quite as solid as it could have been so somewhere in there you need her to be like uh, I don't want to work with you guys. Oh, by the way, this problem is so bad and you're not listening to me. I have to do it myself. And it's such a big deal that I'm willing to give my life for it. Like somewhere in there, we needed more of her turn, I think, because she didn't give a crap about any of these people in the beginning. And then eventually she was the only hope and she gave her life up for it. And obviously Cassie and two, where they just sort of hung out on the beach and had their moment, which was nice. But, uh, yeah, they, I guess they needed something to make it less like, well, we dragged this woman reluctantly into this mission and then we got her killed. So that was kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, her involvement at the beginning of the film was tenuous uh, 
because she just wanted to fulfill the thing so that she could get out of the rough situation that she was in. So then she would introduce right, the song like and get out of It's like every movie ever. Do this one mission for us and we'll give you your freedom. Right, right? exactly. The, the but, table stakes for any movie like this. Yeah, but unfortunately, um, you know, once that goes south and they go after her father and then the things go south with getting her father, then her next step somehow is the meeting where she says all the stuff about hope and how, you know, she the, they have to do it so they can have hope. And it's got these really like, grandiose philosophical things to say about uh the the good feelings that they need to to go work together and stuff and it, that definitely feels like it came out of nowhere because yeah, i don't feel like they built up to that because she had just been sort of betrayed by a, a faction a, a portion of the people who work for the rebels and yet her speech is about hope and has seemingly not anything to do with the other part uh so it, it feels very strange because it's not like she's leading up to i have i have hope because of the rebellion that we can do this it's like i have hope right we, we needed something complete we need something to restore her hope and presumably the scene with saw or her dad would have been that scene where she was like well this is all hopeless and nonsense and then saw could have been like smack you around like uh, well i guess the hologram was supposed to be that moment right where She's like, uh, everything is chaos and it's hopeless. I'm just going to go find my own part of the universe to like hide out in because screw all this stuff. It's terrible. And then she sees the hologram of her dad and he's like, no, I really love you this whole time and everything I've been doing for you is because I love you and stuff. And at that moment, she needed something to like say, no, there is a reason to care about stuff and there is a reason to hope. It's just, it's kind of unfortunate that it's a hologram. And it's just a close-up of her crying for a little while. And that's supposed to be the emotional moment. And it is emotional. It's just like that's what we're hinging her character transformation on is this hologram from her dad that I guess we're supposed to believe is true. uh, That, you know, don't give up. You got to fight. We need your help. I love you. All that stuff. Like that's what's supposed to be the moment for her that pivots her. And then, like, it could have used a little bit more. Like, we, if she would have had a little bit more time, actually, with her dad, he could have been like, no, please, it's not hopeless. We need to do something ourselves. Like, we need to stand up and fight for what we believe in, that kind of junk. Like, we could have reinforced that more than just the hologram. Yeah. So, I feel like it's, like you said, the the turn here is weak. Um, But they... She they didn't wa- get to keep the hologram so she could watch it again later on the ship and be sad by herself. Like no, in was, a I don't understand why no one in that room ejected the little floppy disk that he was on but whatevs uh but they you know she leaves the meeting and she wanders through the the bay and into uh cassian and all of his his pals that he got together and he's like you know we've all done a lot of things we're not super proud of but uh we believe we need to take this thing down for reasons and stuff and even though everybody else doesn't want to do it for reasons and stuff we want to go with you uh so let's all get it together and uh, they do, and they take the Imperial shuttle that they had just taken, and they, they leave out of there, and we get the, the call sign for the movie, where he awkwardly says the title. Um, uh, which, okay, I guess. But uh, they, they come up with Rogue One, and then they blast off out of there. And much <laughs> like um, Star Trek, Star Wars has no security for shuttles, uh, and they can just take things whenever you want and just sit down and push a couple buttons and you're out of the base it was a stolen shuttle too so presumably it didn't like it was been stolen twice 
it's like a, <laughs> right, it's it's like like a twice baked potato it's a it's a twice stolen twice stolen <laughs> shuttle <laughs> um yeah i i assume like it couldn't be managed by the rebels it because it's like bringing an android phone into an iphone world or something it's it's the other sides and they're like well until we retrofit it with you know yeah but other stuff and they had the the guy in the watchtower he, he holds up his binoculars and looks right at it because there were there, there were two of those shots in this movie and that mm-hmm. was uh, one too many oh i liked i liked the first one because it's, it's a nod to the a new hope movie um but i i the second one with the shuttle i was just like i, I mean that's not really like working on me at an emotional level or anything but they, well, he, <laughs> he's not pointing his little thing at it because he wasn't expecting the takeoff and it's just guy in a tower staring at a ship as it goes away and it's like okay yeah i guess so they they he saw it and i guess he reported back or something after but uh <laughs> he called guys there's there's a thing there's a ship leaving is there supposed to be a ship leaving <laughs> Should we do something about this? Uh, and so they they go over to Scarif, uh, and I laughed out loud when they got to Scarif, and there was a giant energy shield that protected the entire planet except for a gate um, that allowed ships to pass through, because yeah, that's basically Spaceballs. Um, there's, there's the planet <laughs> Druidia, and it has an air shield, and the Spaceballs need the combination to get the air shield open so they can suck out all the air on the planet. <laughs> and here is a planet covered by an air shield with a gate on it that has a combination code. And so the whole entire time I'm thinking of the scene in Spaceballs where they, they're they trying to get the code uh, for the, the air shield is one, two, three, four, five. And I was just like, just use, just use that code. Please just use that code. But they, they don't. They use the other code. That would have been funny. Yeah. There's there's some tension about whether or not they'll get through and then they, they go in. And it, it's sort of evocative of the Return of the Jedi uh, right. where they it's have an the- older code but checks out or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and and so they 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 get through the shield and they get their assignment to landing pad nine. Uh, they go down there and land, and they have this weird, bizarro plan of how they're going to get into the facility but attack the facility at the same time. Um, because I don't know. Um, but they they, they yeah, that uh, was a bit peculiar because they're like, all right, nobody knows we're coming. We're going to land, we're going to be fine, and then we're going to sneak out, and we're going to do a thing. And it's like, you're going to do what thing? We haven't heard you say, like, you just, you all just piled on the ship and like, all right, we're going to go fight the bad guys. And like, the whole time they're on their way, they're like, should we, should we talk about what we're going to do? Like, should we have a thing? Like, I don't know. And then, I mean, they, they, they bothered to show us the moment where somebody goes, what's that big satellite dish for? Well, yeah. that's for transmitting. And it's like, mm-hmm, we're fine. <sighs> no, I, that, that was, that was so clumsy. That was... <laughs> Check check off satellite dish, uh, and so they they come up with this plan where they're gonna take the costumes off the guys who come on board the ship to check it, which is very much like how you do things in these sorts of movies. Uh, and they get out of there and take the the uh, the sort of ground train thing over to the main building. Uh, but the other guys are gonna go seize land halfway through and fight until they can't fight no more, etc. Um, did you like, uh, I have a bad feeling about this. Shut up. And then all the doors close. Eh. I mean, it's not the worst, uh, mm. use of, I have a bad feeling about this, but you know, <laughs> they, they could have done another one where like when the guys were in there inspecting the ship and they were beating them up and taking their outfits, if they were like, took too long, if somebody called the pilot on the radio and said, what's going on over there? And he said, nothing. We had a problem. We're fine. How are you? <laughs> they could have, they could have done one of those there. Yeah, uh, but they they get to the main building and they walk through hallways and stuff, and uh, they're 
I could have sworn I saw some footage of them running through this hallway somewhere. Um, and I don't see them running. They just kind of walked, but whatever they, uh, find the whole time she was in that outfit, by the way, I'm like, close your lid. People could see your eyes. Your eyes are too, like, we know what those eyes are. They're, they're so innocent. Stop looking innocent. Um, but she also, she's very short. And then when she's in that outfit, she looks extra funny, (laughs) but they, they have K2SO, uh, knock out another K whatever unit. And, um, uh, take 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 his mind, um, and uh, he figures out where the optimal route is for them to go. And there's like eighty something stormtroopers between them and the the data center, so they basically have almost no chance. And so they start blowing up stuff. That that's the command to to seize the ground and blow everything to smithereens, um, and make you know t- what was it ten people look like hundred. Uh, and so they they sure enough they do it. <sighs> That was another scene where there were a bunch of lines that you could have picked like one of them and it would have been fine. Yeah. Um, and so, the, I mean, I appreciate the sentiment, I guess, stirring war speech. And so they they, <laughs> they uh, blow up a bunch of stuff. Uh, and Krennic had also landed there and he was up in the control tower at this point and he was requesting all of the, the data that Galen Erso had accessed. And as he's, as he's surveying the land, it's exploding behind him and he scolds everyone, you know, don't just... Just sit around, like scramble the garrison, etc. And uh, they uh, maneuver all of the the troops out to go do that. And you see all the the stormtroopers jogging through the hallway, uh, and other kinds of troopers and things and stuff. And who are the ones the, wearing the brown outfits? I don't know. I think are those beach troopers because they blend in with the sand. I'm guessing because they they were the they they're very similar to the forest trooper look that's in the return of the jedi um mm-hmm. I, this movie is so toyetic uh which is weird because it's such a grim <laughs> movie that's pg-13 that i'm not sure small children should watch but uh like would you would you say like a six-year-old should see this movie probably i mean i probably there's hopefully a lot of stuff in this movie that goes over their head <laughs> yeah like what what happened to all the main cast nothing they're fine they went to a farm upstate they're okay uh so the well, I mean, at least the uh, we'll get into it more later. Like when they blast the, the 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 base or whatever, like they don't shoot directly at the base; they shoot the ground, and there's a big wave coming. So the kid could be like, "Oh, maybe they yeah they got out of there in the nick of time, just like yeah, they, in Jetta. They just got they just got a tan. Um, so <laughs> they jumped on a surfboard and rode the wave out of there. Uh, they, they, like they jumped on the LA. they jumped on the corpse of K two S O and and rode him to safety. And then fixed him up later, and then he's fine off screen somewhere. Totally. Yeah. Uh, but they, speaking of, uh, they find the data center room. They knock out the guy guarding the data center door. Uh, and then they uh, start slowly going through data tapes for 20 minutes or whatever. I've, I have no idea why, because they kept cutting back, and like the battle is progressing very seriously outside. And inside, they're like, I don't know, maybe it's this one. <laughs> and you're like, oh, come on, you guys. Well, Cassian's all like, how do I work this thing? There's two handles, but I'm not really sure. Yeah. And so, um, what K2SO is doing outside in the hallway doesn't seem to make a lot of sense because he's like, oh, it's this one and it's that one. And they're checking things and they're like, but then they still need to look up the directories on the terminal that they have. Um, and they they have the, I don't know. It was just, it seemed like a really contrived way to separate the party. Right. Um, they, they have a list of all of the, the code names for the tapes, which is apparently 
you can't just put the actual name of the thing on the tape. It's got to be extra super secret, which seems like a terrible way to archive your plans. Because like once the next round of employees comes in, when everyone's gone, they're going to be like, what the hell is Project Stardust or whatever? Like, why couldn't they just label these with a UPC code or something? Yeah, exactly. If you, and you, and even if you're trying to use cool names, the next guy who comes in who wants to use a cool name is probably going to use the same cool name that you used. And then you got two of them. What do you do with also, two projects? Black isn't Sabers. Death Star enough of an arbitrary cool name? Yeah, I, 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 one would hope, but uh, I assume black <laughs> black saber is the name of the actual weapon part of of the the thing. But well, isn't it isn't it green? I, yeah, but I I don't know what else that would have been. Um, unless oh, that's how like, rad would it be if somebody had a black lightsaber? It just absorbs all light. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would be dope. I hope they do that in episode eight. Yeah, snow snowcall wander out with his uh okay so anyway a glowing um, black blade uh well it wouldn't glow if it's black it would absorb a light you would have to have some sort of oh yeah it would be like uh gravity lensing yeah you just have gravity lensing all around it and that'd be neat that would be dope uh black holes and saberations uh, so um, can we trademark this idea on the podcast live right now so in case they do it in another movie we can like sue them and get credit uh, everything we say is trademark sweet yes our, our lawyers are on it. Um, Copyright 2016 defocused. <laughs> That's all you got to do, right? Uh, so they, yeah, exactly. So they, uh, they have their, their thing of separating the party so that uh, he's, he's in the thing by himself, uh, K2SO. And they, uh, there's a nice moment between uh, Jin and uh, K2SO where she's like, here's the blaster. Because uh, he had wanted one earlier and was, you know, very put out by the fact that she got one and he did not i don't know why he didn't have one but he didn't and now he has one and he's very happy about it you have hands there's a blaster over there go pick one up like you have to be gifted is this one of those things like uh it was like vampires you have to invite them into your home like droids can't pick up a blaster unless you hand it to them i guess maybe that's for security reasons (laughs) (laughs) but they deprogrammed him but they they kept the programming where he's not allowed to grab a blaster on his own well unsafe i mean he's he seems unsafe (laughs) He, he he could he could he could uh punch you or knock you out or something uh quite easily uh or i guess rip you in two if he was really in the mood for it um but they she gives him a gun and he's using that to defend the 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 area and he keeps putting further and further levels of door shutting and locks on the thing that they're in um but back outside the rebels are like oh man there's an attack going on at scarif scramble everybody let's all go hang out and it's like uh I don't know if that is a good plan, but they, yeah, well, yeah. The- and a- Admiral, Admiral, not Akbar, um, he takes his ship over. And so that's why everybody decides, oh, well, if he's going to, then we all got to go. Uh, you know, it's, it's that one friend who always like makes the choice for everybody else. And so, uh, he, he, he does it. And, uh, <laughs> I forget, do, do they scramble them before or after they go like, Hey guys, the plans are here. Uh, please come help us. Cause like at that point they're like, they're either like, well, they just decided to do this thing on their own and they're all going to die if we don't help them. Or I can't remember the timing specifically. They're like, Oh, she was actually not lying. The plans actually are there and they, we should probably go do that because if you know it's, oh, it's it, a big deal it was it was it was the first thing they didn't get in touch with them uh because of the shield and and all that the only reason why they knew that there was an attack going on is because that one 
person monitoring imperial frequencies overheard it and he runs over to mon mothma and he's like mum mum excuse me mum um and uh says oh, that no, don't forget that he ran over there he, he he fake ran and then two other guys are like hold up right there you can't talk to her yeah you, stay right here five feet away and they're like let him through your, he takes one your, more step your fake actor running is awfully suspicious <laughs> um, <laughs> and your fake like don't come any closer because uh but stuff. But anyway, he he relays that there's an attack going on and, uh, you know, Admiral Raddus uh, is taking his ship and all the other stuff and they're, they're going to go do the things. And so all the X-Wings are taking off and, you know, we'll assign you squadrons on your way because everything's just so disorganized over there because I guess no plan was better than making any plan at that meeting. Um, and uh, why not risk everything you have? And uh, the... The... Uh, this gives us one of the worst little tie-in moments, I think, where we have C-3PO say to R2-D2, nobody tells me anything. Um, and that's it. They're, they're in the movie. What? Uh, so you, did, you didn't appreciate that? No, it was, it was gratuitous. Like, well, just... we, we had to know that R2 was in the building because he had to be on that ship that showed up later with Leia. But we didn't, we didn't need to know that. We could have just assumed... <laughs> That he was just always on the ship. Yes, because there was no reason to believe that he wouldn't have been. If uh, if anything, this just makes us wonder what the exact order of getting them off of the planet's surface onto the Tantive Four was. But it doesn't matter, because um, the battle is going on, and there's uh, two Star Destroyers uh, guarding the gate, and there's TIE Fighters and things, but for some reason, they don't launch the TIE Fighters for like 20 minutes, and they're not really like seriously fighting the Rebels. Um, but the, the Rebels have a, a bunch of X-Wings and Y-Wings go into the, uh, in it, I think one U-Wing, which had uh, some troopers, and they, they go inside of the shield real fast before they can close the aperture. A couple guys don't make it, and they skitter across the surface of the shield. It's a very nice shot. Um, I, I, I liked that they didn't all make it because that, you know, sets up some of the peril, that it's not, it's not just about, like, going really fast all the time. Sometimes you mm-hmm. got to time it just right. And they... Uh, they got down in there, and then for some reason, the like handful of play, uh, of uh, fighters that made it uh, somehow occupy all of the imperial forces that are on the, inside of the, uh, the 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 perimeter there for the rest of the film, the rest of the third act. There's still X wings flying around. Well, they're so, blowing up the at ats and stuff. They're rolling around. You get a little bit of a well. Those are those the- are at acts. Oh, what, they're, they're what? A T A C T, because they're they're what? cargo transports. Like that's oh, they, they had a hole like in the middle. The big opening thing. Yeah, I, I didn't think all of them had the opening in them, but yeah, maybe no, I missed that. I, I thought it was kind of dumb how they were revealed because we had seen the whole planet from up above and and the the islands and stuff. Because this is this is a uh, planet Maldives, uh, and they they what was weird about that shot is you know we can we can kind of mostly see everything laid out from above and there's not a lot of tall tall things you could hide something behind other than the tower and then all of a sudden there's just these at acts like at axe walking around from behind palm trees and it's like wait where did you sneak up from exactly were you under the water yeah maybe they keep them underwater or, or do they did the legs fold up like a sleeping dog and they just kind of like chill out on the ground real low yeah maybe i don't know it, it just seemed it, it, it seemed a, a little strange that they just suddenly popped out from behind a corner. It's like, surprise, G- giant walking thing. Um, and uh, there's a lot of fighting. Cool, though. Yeah, they, I mean, yeah. But they, they, there's a lot of fighting that happens with things. Um, now, these at-acts don't seem to be as sturdy as the, the at-ats. 
which we see in uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back because they can still shoot these and do a considerable amount of damage, whereas the shielding on the AT-ATs is much stronger, apparently, and they have to do the, the, the cable things and stuff. And like shoot well, right there was the the shot where he fires the RPG at it, and it, it knocks the head sideways like a punch, and then the head comes back and blasts him, which yeah was dramatic, and everyone in the theater was like, "Oh boy, here comes!" Yeah, but but they still had like whatever that weapon was that launched the blue crap at the leg and made it all squirrely. Um, but they they have things getting progressively more dire uh, to the point where. Uh, there's a serious security problem uh, inside of the data center and uh, K- K2SO is not doing so well. Um, he's being shot quite a bit uh, and uh, he's he's still returning fire, but he's he's a little unwell. And uh, Krennic has heard word uh, that there is uh, some sort of problem with the data center and he realizes that they're after the plans, um, which are important for him for reasons, for uh, stuff. And so... He goes down there with two guys and he's going to take them on. He dispatches his personal guard out to the beach. And again, I think his personal guard is really strange. Uh, they, they go out there and uh, they lay waste to a bunch of rebels. Um, so they're very good at what they're doing, uh, as opposed to most other kinds of stormtroopers. Uh, and this corners uh, Chirrut and uh, uh, Baze uh, and they they and one other rebel guy and they need to throw this master switch for a reason so they can send a transmission through the imperial thing to the rebel fleet to let them know that they need the shield down so that they can transmit the other plans because they can only transmit this but they can't transmit big files so um well, it's like the the shield blocks uh 4g and you only got an edge connection so you got to put the shield down in order to get your yeah they need their ltes up um and they 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 get the word up there and so they're like oh we need to get the shield down because that was not a priority earlier apparently uh and so they start shooting at uh the gate thing and it's really heavily protected and then they start uh they manage to have a couple y-wings like use their ion torpedoes to knock out uh one of the star destroyers and uh admiral radis is like that's disabled get one of the hammerhead cruisers to ram it and it knocks it over into the other star destroyer um, Star Destroyers, not super maneuverable. Uh, and <laughs> did, did you like that scene, by the way? Uh, I mean, I I liked I liked what they were going for. I have questions about s- sort of how that hammerhead ship held up long enough to ram into that and then push it into the other ship hard enough to cause the amount of damage that we see on mm-hmm. screen. Because it seems like the amount of damage that would happen would be mostly from the different speeds they were traveling, but they weren't really like traveling at that different a speed. They well, just they, very slowly you know, falling into them. They're very big. So it's a yeah. scale thing. Yeah, I, I guess maybe they're, <laughs> maybe their anti-gravity fields conflicted. And so that also caused a problem or something. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. So they, they, but for some reason it hits it and it starts to basically like crumble apart. Uh, and then they like fall a hot knife through butter. Yeah. Then they fall into the, the gate and that causes a major disruption to the shield. Um, and they are able to... That, that's how they're going to be able to get the transmission out of there. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin took the Death Star over uh, with with the, the hyperspace jump, and he's, he's in orbit of the thing. Uh, and they get the tape, and Cassian gets shot, but lands on a conveniently placed grate, and she takes the thing 
up on a clip to the top and goes to the dish thing, but needs to align the dish. And there's well, a loud. Don't forget she jumped through the chompers. Oh yeah, that was pointless. <laughs> uh, we need to protect this air vent. Well, we could put some mesh or a laser thing or something. No, I just put a big thing that like opens and closes really fast. Yeah, and it was it it, it looks exactly like the the one on um uh, the Millennium Falcon um for no particular reason. Uh, so it opens and closes real fast. She gets through. Uh, I thought that was needless, and uh, she gets to the roof. Uh, when she goes over to use the computer thing and it's like announcing on a big PA speaker that the dish must be realigned. It's like, that seems also really pointless and strange. And so you have to go to another terminal to realign it. It's, it's, it's like if you're playing like uh doom or some other first person shooter and it's like, no, you need the gold key. And it's like, what do, what do you do after you talk? Who makes a system like this? And so she has to go over and use the the little terminal on the the plank that's precariously suspended over the entire facility. Well, you got to be on the plank so you can see the dish. So when you're aligning it, you know, if you're pointing in the right direction, rather than using any sort of electronic alignment, you got to do it manually. Yeah, yeah, you got to eyeball it because the graphic (laughs) satellite uplink. Sure. Why not? Yeah, the 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 graphic about where the satellite is pointing is not enough. You have to actually look at it, apparently. Uh, So she she calibrates worth mentioning uh just real quick because i feel like we're gonna miss it later the the motion graphics in this movie i think are awesome like all of the uh the interface stuff everywhere i love it oh i really liked it especially the uh the death star ones which have like this clunk clunk sound when they uh they that they added to the graphics appearing um or like super retro and kind of like uh like hal 9000 in some parts and it's just it's very awesome yeah i feel like they are better executed than what you see in episodes one through three where I feel like they were way too slick uh, for what you wind up seeing in the the chronologically later films. Um, whereas these, I feel, are more in line with that. Now, they do make the mistake of having like super fancy holograms here, but uh, whatever. Uh, and they, uh, you can excuse that in some context, I suppose. But they, they align the dish. Uh, she starts walking back, and then one of the little uh, tie whatevers blows up the uh it's because it's not really like a tie they're they've got like bat wings it's weird uh so it blows up the thing that she was at and then she wanders off uh of the thing crawls her way back up and then uh cape guy is there and he's gonna shoot her and she's like oh you remember me and he's like nope and then she says i'm the daughter of galen urso and he's like oh well crap i'm gonna kill you anyway and then Cassian a dramatic reveal that the audience already knew that doesn't really ring that interesting because that that fell flat. Yeah, because everybody already knows what's going to happen. She's the daughter. We know that uh, he's going to be stunned when she says that and then he's going to die and she's going to do the thing. Yeah. And um, so Cassian is not dead because he fell in that convenient grate and then somehow got up there and then he shoots uh, what's his face and he falls over and then she wants to go beat the crap out of him and he's like, no don't and uh whatever and that, so she like i don't i don't know what that was why that was there like hold me mm-hmm. back i'm gonna kill him like, i don't know why first of all he's not the one who killed your dad uh that would be the guy in the x-wing yeah well i mean she, he did imprison her father and kill her mother though yeah sure okay so there's, there's that. This is some re- reasons i um, felt like there could have been words there instead of like a, he's lying on the ground and, and he's like no don't do it i'm gonna hold you back like uh-huh, yeah whatever uh, but they uh, they go over and they put the jazz drive in, uh, and they uh, they beam up the big files. Um, it's a good thing she brought her her jazz drive clip belt with her too, by the way. Yeah, 
And uh, that's all because Chirrut and Baz had made the sacrifice about the master switch to get that up there. And uh, Bodhi had made the sacrifice to run the cable uh, and get the transmission out. And so they they, they, they all died. Uh, K2SO had died protecting them in the hallway. And this leaves uh, Cassian and uh, Jin. And so they go down to the beach fast and hang out. Maybe there's uh, parachutes up on the satellite dish and they jumped. I don't, I don't, I feel like they wanted to have a scene of them on the beach at the end, but it was kind of not like good because there were other it seems like they ran past all of the possible means of escape that they could have used at that point Mm -hmm. to get to the beach um Mm -hmm. so it it seems like a poorly like like from a from a tactical perspective rather than a romantic perspective it seemed it seemed odd tactically Uh, they should have stayed up at the dish and somebody should have hovered a ship next to it and they could have jumped in yeah or, or like but basically everybody died uh and they uh because they blasted the thing. That's the other thing. You can tell they wanted to have a scene on the beach because the Death Star shot. He said, destroy the base. And he's like, all right, we'll shoot five miles away and then let the shockwave take it out. It's like, why Why would you do that? I Did well, you the, just miss? Did you set up? Did you align the shot too quickly? Well, they apparently lined it up so that it would hit the dish, which was the most important thing to knock out. Uh, but because of the angle that they were at to the base, it was sort of a glancing laser blast that caused the nuclear explosion on the horizon. I mean, it still eventually <laughs> killed everyone. Yeah. Um, and just, I, like, just shoot the center of it. You're it, good. It seemed like a really dumb way to take care of this problem because they've also destroyed all plans for Imperial installations and bases. Like, what if somebody needs to run a new wire or something or get the plumbing problem fixed like what what are they going to do now they don't have any plans i yeah but i didn't mind that because i in my mind i see tarkin going like we have the death star we literally need nothing else Uh, we don't need any more of our infrastructure anywhere at all because we've got this thing we are good to go because he doesn't know about the weakness and then it's just like eh, blow it up doesn't matter we got the death star who cares yeah but see that uh, that's also why they don't know what the weakness is um because they yeah, blew it so all up. <laughs> there's that little bit of the the uh, unresolved thread that you're kind of wondering, like, you know, Tarkin screws up and like somewhere between Rogue One and Episode Four, somebody's probably going to go like, uh, so, hey, uh, remember that thing where we were trying to figure out what Galen Erso did? Did we ever solve that? No. Can we solve that? No. Why not? He's dead. Uh, what about the plans? I blew those up, too. So, like, there's a little bit of that problem because you know he he threatens krennic saying like you better make sure he didn't do anything to uh you know put this put the death star at risk and he gives him that order and then uh nobody even comes close to solving that because krennic dies too obviously so there's really like nobody around to answer that question so at that point tarkin should be like yeah my bad guys i killed everybody and blew up everything that could possibly answer whether or not the death star has a weakness uh and I blew up all of our other infrastructure. So like the Death Star is all we have. And as long as there's no weakness, we're good. Like we'll be good for the rest of our lives on the Death Star. But if there is a weakness, we'll never know uh, unless we do our own research or something uh, and just try and figure it out. But uh, shrug. Oh, well, sorry. Yeah. Um, and the 
the transmission went up to Admiral Radice's ship uh, and the Rebel fleet. Uh, all of the Rebel fleet is mostly <laughs> destroyed at this point. Uh, Vader pops in on his Star Destroyer and they blow up a lot of other stuff and they disable Radice's ship and they're going to go board it. Uh, oh, that was rad where he comes out of light speed right as somebody's going into light speed and smashes into the side of the, the ship. That was awesome. Yeah, that was, that was a neat shot. Um, and so they, because uh, if you go, you go, you know, flying through space isn't like Dustin Crops boy. Um, you could bounce too close to things. Anyway, so uh, they fire um, on a bunch of stuff and uh, they are going to go board the ship um, and they have the diskette that they copied the files to from the transmission from the jazz drive, which they're handing off fireman line style, like through the hallways um, to get it to the Tantive four so it can get out of there. The door won't open. Nobody will come assist with the door and get the plans. Um, and the guy mostly wants to save his own life and also get through the door. Uh, but then when uh, Vader walks in and then he does all the uh, I'm horror movie, I'm going to slash up everybody stuff. Uh, then the guy finally just throws the diskette through to somebody and they get out of there. Uh, and Vader cuts through the door, but they blast off. And then Vader's standing in an empty cargo area, which has wind from some reason source i don't know um and the tantive four gets out of there and we get the shot of the hallway uh where the guy's walking through to the door and he opens and there's the back of the person and it's like oh please don't turn around and then turns around like oh we need is hope uh and that's the end of the film everyone's dead except leia and darth vader and grandma tarkin and the death star death star's fine (laughs) for now (laughs) yeah um like I said before, the Vader thing is super satisfying, but also doesn't make a lick of sense. Um, it was interesting when they were like lining up in the hallway with their blasters and it's like a dark hallway and it's like, oh, this is like in episode four, except it's dark. And then he lights it up with his lightsaber, like super dramatic. Like you said, out of character for Vader, but so satisfying. Yeah. I mean, that read more like episode three Anakin um, than it read like a new hope Vader. I still think a little bit of that is because they couldn't do stuff like this with Vader in episode four. So yeah, I'm willing to give it a little bit of a pass. Plus like we, I mean, wasn't one of the things we said, like uh, from the prequels to the old ones, like we never really got to see uh, what makes Vader the super scary guy that he has the reputation for in the original trilogy. We never really see that in the prequels because he just turns into Vader and then it's over. So like we, we, I, I, we wanted a little bit of seeing like why Vader is super scary. And I think that was enough to see why people should be afraid of Darth Vader. I suppose. So that takes us to the end. Uh, we've, we've accomplished our mission. Do you, and we've all died. Yes. All of us super dead right now. Super. Mm hmm. Poor movie. Poor K2. Um, so yeah, uh, Maybe he maybe his personality uses iCloud backup or something so they can download him later. Perhaps. I have to say I like the, the I like the film. Um I don't find it as emotionally effective as some other things, but it's definitely the best prequel that has taken place before the Oh, hands down. Um and you know, I I don't know, you know, you can get into the technicalities of whether or not this is really a Star Wars movie and it's like I Seems pretty Star Warsy. Um, and uh, Wait, so on yeah. that note, 
score. Uh, they clearly made an effort to get close to a lot of the uh, original stuff while not actually being the original stuff. And there were a couple instances, where, instances particularly in the, uh, the the title, where I was just like, come on, use the song, use the song. I know it's not the movie, but use the song. Well, yeah, I think that I, I'm sure there were heated debates about that inside of uh lucasfilm about what they would do for that totally. i don't like what they went with um but i don't know if it ne- necessarily needed to have the star wars fanfare opening um but or a crawl but uh i mean a crawl would have helped with the the, the visual diarrhea of of here's a bunch of planets um but the <laughs> it was one of those things where like uh i was like expecting the jump scare of the the opening music and it just never came yeah so i was kind of like leaning forward to wait for it to be like shocked and it never happened i was like oh oh we're just gonna go past that okay fine yeah they, they, they hit a note and then it just went to slow buzzing of the shuttle uh and then started drumming up from there um but the when they went to the rogue one thing and it was just like that quick splash it was like eh, okay um but I think that Michael Giacchino makes way better Star Wars music than he makes Star Trek music. Uh, I thought he did a good job aping John Williams' style. Uh, and mm-hmm. he also had the difficult situation of needing to bridge the prequels and the original films. And as we've talked about in the past, the original uh, Star Wars movie does not have the Imperial March in it at all. Um, that was that was something that was invented for Empire Strikes Back, um, and yet they went back and used Imperial March heavily, uh, leit motif all, all through the the first three episodes, one through three movies, and so you got to this weird point where it's like, well, we need to have some Imperial sounding stuff, and needs to sound like it connects with A New Hope, but don't really use Imperial March, and so there are a couple notes. There, having said that, there are a couple notes of the Imperial March uh, when he goes to meet Vader in the, the awkward meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, when the door's opening and stuff. Yeah, and so, like, there are a couple parts where it's just sort of, like, laid in softly, and there are a couple parts where you hear the, the Force theme, and there's a couple parts where you hear um, some of the action cues that you would associate with the, the Rebels fighting in Return of the Jedi, that kind of thing. You hear a couple of those things, and it's just enough to like sort of remind you of, of of those other films, which I feel is an effective way to go about it without making it just a wholesale reproduction of previous works by John Williams, um, which even John Williams isn't doing for the score that he did for the force awakens. As we talked about, uh, he was, he was mostly doing new stuff. Um, and uh, so there's also new stuff from Michael G. Kino that's in here. That's not in any of the other films. And that's the, the special Imperial suite, which mostly plays when Krennic is flying around and just, ridiculous shuttle um and i i you know i've, I've been listening to it on uh, amazon music unlimited i assume it's also on uh uh apple um music and all of the other great music things and you can just you know buy it or something i've heard i've heard that's a thing people can do uh <laughs> but the 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 soundtrack is pretty pretty good uh i gotta say i i liked it i feel like it really accomplished what it set out to do and uh music in star wars plays a, such a large part that it's important that it that it feels cohesive and fits in with it and i know there are a lot of people who were worried when alexander Desplat was uh replaced um so late in the process because of he supposedly had a scheduling conflict um because he was going to do uh valerian uh for what's his face um but 
I there's a part of me that wonders how much of that he was really having a scheduling conflict and how much of that was Alexander Desplat just did not want to ape as much of the Star Wars style as they perhaps would have wanted. Um, I'm curious because with with this, uh, it seems like Michael Giacchino basically had to completely remove himself from the equation and, and just, you know, think of how John Williams would approach it, which is not something that everybody wants to do. Like you want to own the project that you're working on. You don't want to just be somebody who's, who's doing sound alike work. Um, so it's, it's something that I'm curious about. And so I, I would be interesting to find out. I would be interested to find out what the answer to that is. Hmm. What did, you, what did you think of that? I would say, I would say, yeah, it, it, it has to sound like star Wars. So yeah, you, you should know going in that you're going to have to do stuff that sounds like star Wars and get on board with that. And I thought they did a good job with that. Uh, it was just like, you know, they did like the one with the opening title or whatever. It was just like a slightly, everything was like slightly slowed down or like at a slightly different key or something. It was just like, eh, you got seven movies worth of stuff. You guys could probably just pull stuff from those movies and stick it in here. And it would be just fine because, we want things to feel like Star Wars when they need to feel like Star Wars, so that's fine with me. Like I don't, I don't know that we, I don't know that I personally need anything new out of a Star Wars score. Okay, I mean, so me. I want new things because, as we've talked about in the Star Trek movies uh, that we've done, the the uh, 2009 reboot um, from JJ and the uh, success success uh, successors to that all scored by Michael Giacchino, I feel like he's reusing his own work too much in those and that I don't feel like they are terribly original and that I didn't really like the score for the last one because it just felt like he was completely recycling music cues from uh, the first film. Uh, So that it doesn't, I I think just regurgitating things is not great. Uh, And I don't think that he was doing the music over the rogue one. Um, to sound different because he was having some sort of creative disagreement with people. <laughs> I feel like they didn't want it to be. I, I feel like all of the producers and everything didn't want it to be just like a star Wars opening. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's, that's going to be that internal debate of how close you want this to feel like it's involved in the, the other trilogies, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't like what they did, but um, I, I <laughs> a, a different approach would have been fine without necessarily needing to be the star Wars opening. Yeah, I think the one the 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 one over the title my least was my least favorite. Yeah, the the Rogue One as it slowly recedes and there's a little music cue for that and mm-hmm. it just it felt so like weird. It was a little flat. Yeah. Uh so I I didn't find that stirring at all. Um I I did, uh, one of the things that I really liked was uh, his Imperial Suite uh which plays a few times like I said and uh, the, the there's another suite for the Guardians of the Wills W H I L L S, which you know was like basically Chirrut the Temple Guard things. Like there, there was some good good things in there uh, in addition to uh, the uh, the other stuff. Uh, but the uh, I, th- I, th- I like the soundtrack and I think you know it, it has some stickiness in my mind, so that's a that's a good thing. And uh, it's also um. Shoot, what was I going to say? The the uh, the blah 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 blah. They had the, they had the the closing, the big, you know, thing. So that was traditional. That was good. I don't remember the closing. Yep. They did the thing that the other movies do. The end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then blue letters. 
blue yes the blue letters mm-hmm. credits and stuff mm-hmm. credits and stuff mm, let's see other parts you want to talk about in the movie nope i think i'm i i think i have addressed everything uh i think a lot of the ships and things look beautiful um and there's a lot of stuff in here that uh, really takes the kinds of complicated multi-ship battles that you saw at Return of the, the end of Return of the Jedi to another level where they have the Rebel fleet going up against the Imperials in a very similar format, but uh, in, a, in a different way. Um, like, especially when you see the X-Wings like flying through the open beams inside of the, the, the gate. That seems ill-advised, but it was neat. Um, the sort of yeah. like flying through the Death Star superstructure. Have but, they done sort of like the the shot that in here? There's only one of them that I can recall. The uh, POV of the X-wing coming out of flight speed as they all like sort of land in. No, I, I feel like that was a unique take. Uh, so that was I, cool. I, yeah, I, I liked it. Um, and I think all the hyperspace effects were neat. Uh, and we had seen some new takes on hyperspace in the the Force Awakens. Uh, so it was it was also nice to see that continue here. Uh, and uh, I look forward to to more Star Wars stories. I just hope that they don't. I don't want them to turn into these things where it's just like a visual dictionary of all the other tie-in material that you need to read, and the the, the actual movie can't stand on its own anymore, um, and it it starts turning into like Marvel. Um, that <laughs> I would, do wonder how mu- how much enjoyment somebody would get out of this movie without ever knowing or ever having seen the other movies because you can't. You can't live in this world today without just like knowing some of the background of Star Wars. So like uh, just like not having seen the original trilogy, how, how, how enjoyable would this movie be for people? I wonder. I, I have to imagine that it, it see while the force awakens apparently was very effective for people who had not watched Star Wars or were less familiar with Star Wars. They mm. found that easy to get into. And that's mostly because it's retelling a lot of th- things from the first star wars uh so you can kind of get up to speed on on sort of a new fresh take on on an old idea i guess uh whereas with this one it's like no we're very clearly drawing lines in between little tiny pieces of information that are already out there and this is a movie about those lines and so if you don't know all those other pieces of information i don't really think you're going to enjoy the movie very much Right. I think that's why this uh the the way they've positioned it kind of bothers me a little bit because um it's not a movie with a number which is it seems like them intentionally trying to distance themselves from the other ones saying like no this is a different thing but it does not exist on its own really very well without those other things so it's like it really needed a number but it can't have a number because there are no numbers like and then you know the the opposite is the force awakens has a number and it makes you going in you feel like oh this is seven do i need to watch the other six no you don't really and this one doesn't have a number and you're like oh i can probably watch this one without the other ones you really can't so it's kind of backwards yeah it's very interesting approach to this idea but it's because they decided to turn that opening crawl into an entire film Mm -hmm. and so much of the first act is you know stuff that you don't stuff that you would not necessarily know from watching other Star Wars movies, but apparently is very heavily expanded on in several tie-in books and other comics and materials and like Saw Gerrera as a character from like the Clone Wars cartoon. Um, and 
like there are a couple references in here to uh I overheard the pa like general syndula and that's a character from the star wars rebels cartoon and the ship from star wars rebels is in there and they've uh one of the droids is in the background of a shot and so and jimmy smith is there and he says yeah. something about clone wars yeah jimmy smith oh man um so this is the last time we'll see jimmy smith unless they do uh uh you know organa's ride back to alderaan the the a Star Wars story because um, <laughs> the Alderaan <laughs> blew up. Um, so uh, that, that's it for him. So should I would, we... I would trust, I would trust her with my life. Oopsie. Yeah. So he was talking about uh, Leia. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. That's what I assumed. But oh my then... God. It was so heavy handed. How did you, how did you, how did you not get that? Well, cause we just got a new female character and he was being vague and I was like, I'm pretty sure we're supposed to think that's Leia there, but mm. I don't think everyone's going to think that's Leia. Totally, Leia. Um, yeah, he, he was not subtly referring to his daughter. How that he they would take care of the situation. Yeah, and that was would, the other thing. It's like, of he course, would, yeah, why wouldn't he, you trust her? She's your daughter. Yeah, and he would go back to Alderaan, and uh, and she would she would take care of it, and he trusts her with her life, with his life, and uh, that's that's uh, oopsie, um, because that explodes. Hmm. Hmm. So should we should we position should we make this this movie version uh, thirty two instead of thirty five so we've got room to stick a couple other things in there? What if episode three? Because again, they they didn't add the the extra digit after it to make it thirty and forty, so you can put other movies in between. Oh, it was that joke I made earlier. Oh, it was stupid. Okay, you think they're gonna do other movies between three and four? I mean. They've done lots of other things between three and four because there's 20 years. Um, I they're they're definitely going to do that Han Solo young kid movie, so that would take place between three and four. Right, I suppose it would, wouldn't it? Yep. I mean, well, would it or would it be kind of somewhere two two and three maybe between there, depending on how young he is? Uh, I thought Han Solo is younger than Anakin, so it seems like it would. Oh yeah, be. he would be, wouldn't he? Yeah, he's, it, he's Leia's age. Yeah, so it would be it would be between three and four. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll call we'll call Rogue One version thirty two. Okay. I'm gonna just just keep revisiting our past and resurrecting it for monetary gain. Sure. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a cool movie. It was entertaining. I mean, yeah. it's. It, I think they did what they set out to do: is to make a, a movie in the Star Wars universe that is not like directly connected to the continuation of the Skywalker uh, bloodline or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it was a good, well, I mean, technically it is because Leia's at the end of the film. Well, just, yeah, at the end yeah. there, but we, we don't really, this movie is not and, concerned and with the Vader, Skywalkers. And Vader is in the film and he's a bad guy who, who stops things, so. Va- yeah. Vader's going to be in every movie that is vaguely a, a c- close to his timeline. So, I guess you could say this is, this is a movie that doesn't have Tatooine or Luke in it. Sure. <laughs> but there's that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, ta-da. Yeah, because Luke, Luke is, uh, he's around. Mm-hmm. He's of age. Mm-hmm. We so have, now Tello. we get the adventures of young Luke on the moisture farm. Mm-hmm. Isn't it isn't it, isn't it a better idea, like uh, Galen, to have your moisture farm on a place that is actually moist? Well, something tells me the moisture is more valuable in a scarce economy. 
of moisture. Right, but like you could just you could farm it where it's moist and then ship it to where it's not moist. Well, I have to assume the tariffs are pretty high on uh, on work that's done outside of the region. The the import export tax on moisture. Yeah, got to got to support local tattooing jobs. <laughs> Shop local moisture. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the last Friday of every month. Make sure to just shop local moisture. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Uh, these are the economic changes that will really make a difference and put a positive light on the uh, empire. Yeah. Well, you know, you got you to gotta make it rain. Sure. <laughs> May the force be with you, Dan. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of force stuff in this movie that probably a little unnecessary i mean i get why guardian of the temple guy might have been praying to force stuff a bit seemed to work out well for him sure uh i don't know why why jen decided to say may the force be with us because i mean maybe because she has she's had a necklace that we referenced twice in the movie that played no part that was apparently related to lightsabers which presumably is force related yeah it was a gift from her mother and she said it to her when she said goodbye uh, didn't she say like trust the force or something? Yeah, yeah. But she's talking about the force. Sure. Why does she have that? I don't know. I don't. I don't know, Dan. They. I'm sure there's a tie-in book that explains. The I was wondering if she was going to build a lightsaber throughout the movie. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. She didn't build a lightsaber. No, she didn't. And apparently, the Death Star is built on lightsaber technology, but none of the blasters are. Guess not. Okay. <laughs> Star Wars. Mm. A story. Mm-hmm. The end. Every time I every time I try to try to type the name, I end up typing Rouge One. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's another way you can make up for that. <laughs> that was really stupid. Mm-hmm. 